Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away, back, goal. Oh, hey, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I'm excited. I don't know about you, and I mean, I shouldn't be too excited, but I'm excited, right? First of all, before you get all googly-eyed about Shay Langoliers, let me tell you what I'm excited about. Now I'm excited about Shay. Don't, don't, don't kid yourself. And if I call him Shane for some reason, I keep calling him Shane. Like, What's the diamond chain, chain company? Oh, I don't yeah, know why I have Shane. I don't want to have Shane uh, on the biz on my mind, but I keep calling him Shane. But we know it's Shay. I'm gonna tell you, J.P. Sears should excite you, the guy going tonight. And I know we're all gonna be all up about Shay, but it is J.P. Sears who should really excite you. And you might say, why? Why is that? Well, this is why. This kid has gone out and pitched on the biggest stage and had success. The Yankees traded you a player that they feel is good enough to win at the big league level when they had the best record in baseball. He pitched against the A's during that time. Seven games against the A's, two starts. You know why? Because they believe he can compete at this level and pitch at Yankee Stadium. So I'm not getting, like, Shea Langoliers may came up, might come up tonight, ballpark in Arlington, and look like a deer in headlights. There's been time, I mean, Pache. Pache had big league experience. He played every day, couldn't compete. Couldn't compete. 
Zach Logue comes up, and we see him, but for the most part, hasn't been able to compete. Who, who am I missing? Well, uh, left-hander. Koenig. Koenig, yeah. Couldn't compete. Adrian Martinez. Couldn't compete. Uh, Kevin Smith. Couldn't compete. This dude is legit. J.P. Sears has already competed at Yankee Stadium on the biggest stage in Major League Baseball. I know we hate the Yankees, but it is what it is. And he was doing it when the Yankees had the best record in baseball. And you don't think he's getting scrutinized every single time he took the ball? You betcha. And now he comes to Oakland, and now we're going, hey, big boy, you got a chance. Have you watched him pitch? Here, There's no fear. He's not coming here going, oh, my God, I'm in the big leagues. I listened. Uh, Power Alley, our guys Mike Farron and Jim Duquette had Mark Kotze on today. And I'll tell you, this road trip, what I've been doing is I've been going out and just playing nine holes in the morning. Starting, I'm starting to realize I'm going to have my first ever real off season, no football, feeling good about no COVID, even though I know COVID's out there, but we've restored. The restrictions are gone. I'm going to have an offseason. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm getting my game tight right now. I delayed my tee time a little bit. The starter's like, Tony, you got to go. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Kotze's on with, with Farron and the Duke. And Mark Kotze was talking about how it's time to – and we're going to talk to Kotze about this on Friday while he was he was holding out on us. He's going to tell XM and serious. He said, hey, it's time for us to show all these other other teams we're gamers. And J.P. Sears is one of those guys. You know what? Sorry, Stephen Piscotty. We love Stephen Piscotty. Great guy. And what his family's doing, ALS, it's phenomenal. Piscotty wasn't competing anymore. Hitting under 200. Jed Lowry hitting under 200. Sorry. We're not getting better as an organization. These guys have been paid handsomely. We wish them nothing but the best. If you haven't heard, DFA'd for Stephen Piscotty. We already knew about Jed. Love him to death. But it's time to move on. That's how this business works. Who's the next generation of ace players to get us to the next level? And I'm telling you, what I've seen, I love me some J.P. Sears. You guys are all ecstatic about Shea Langoliers. I get it. Me too. But I on the prize right now, who is the one guy that has played in Major League Baseball and played on the biggest stage and pitched his ass off so far? Who's that? J.P. Sears. Boom. And we got him. Let's see what this kid's got. I'm excited. But Langoliers, yes, I'm excited about him too. He's going to be in the lineup tonight, going to be DHing. Already I got to hear the, well, the, we're making the, oh, uh, what about Murph? Murph's going to be fine and Murph's going to get his. But we got to see what Langoliers can do. Ninth overall pick in his draft. As much as you liked Pache, this seemed to be the guy that was the the get in the Matt Olson trade. 19 bombs, 876 OPS at Las Vegas. Doesn't mean anything because everybody hits in Las Vegas, but let's see. He's going to DH tonight. Let's see him hit. We had him on. Oh, it wasn't on here. I was doing TV then, right? Yeah, you, yeah, you, you guys talked on TV. So I had him on TV. Seems like a nice kid when I was uh, doing it. Who's I doing it with? I think with Dave Stewart on NBC Sports California. Let's go. It was, Stu. We were there that day. Oh, no, we weren't. You were there. I was here. Let's go. 
Let's see these guys. I mean, how much, how much did I enjoy? I don't know how much you enjoyed. I don't know how much you enjoyed. Cal Stevenson leading off last night. Let's go. Walked twice, almost hit, hit a bomb, stole a base. I want to see these guys. I've been drilling it into all of you. Don't listen to what they've been selling about, oh, it's a young team. No, it hasn't been. What, Elvis is young? Boat's young? Lowry's young? Piscotty's young? Kemp's young? Pender's young? No, they're not. Machine? No. Loriano, No. None of the guys we've been playing on an everyday basis have been young. You know what? Now we got some young guys. Give me the young guys in the lineup tonight. Jonah Bride. Love it. Nick Allen. Love it. Langoliers. Oh. Uh, and Cal uh, Stevenson. There you go. Oh, and J.P. Sears is pitching. Ah, young guys. Young. That's young. The oldest guy out of all of them is 26. That's J.P. Sears and Jonah Bradder each 26. And 26 isn't young, for God's sakes. The Atlanta Braves, they're bringing up teenagers. Uh, do you want to I, – I can tell you real quick. The Atlanta Braves got guys that if they grew up in this country, they'd still be in high school. That may not be factually correct, but, but you know what I'm saying. Bra- the Bra- I did. I went back and looked. The Braves have six players on offense, 25, 25 or younger, and they have two of their starters in their rotation, 25 or under. Okay. Their other starters, I, I, 26. I want to tell you how full of crap all these old baseball guys are who are trying to sell this to you, okay? And I hear them all the time. And I don't bring up their names, but I hear the crap they spew all the time. Who won the World Series last year? The Braves. Who's considered an innovator and has a great system? The Atlanta Braves. So they won the World Series last year. They're known to have a great system. And and what did you just say about their young players? Uh, they have six guys that are 25 or younger on offense. Two games ago. Two games. Was it? What was it? We had every, the top six guys in our order two games ago. And then Ramon got hurt. And, and Ramon, by the way, has been put on the IL. Yep. Ramon got hurt, and they put Piscotty in. The first six guys, that would have been the final day in Houston. Yes, Sunday. The first six guys in our lineup, the average age was over 30. And I'm pausing for dramatic effect because I get, oh, we're young. Oh, we're young. Oh, we're young. Where the hell are we young? We've been rolling out. 28 and above all season long. By the way, average age, check it, majority of the season on baseball reference, we're one of the oldest teams in baseball. Looking at it right now. Facts or fiction. Uh, Right now. Because you couldn't count. I'm talking about before Nick Allen got here. Take his 23, boop, take him out. As of right now. Take Pache. When Pache wasn't here and Allen wasn't here, we're over 28, you're average over 28 years old on the roster. Looks like right now we are 18th in age. What's our average age? It uh, says right now 28.8. Right now we average almost 29 years old, and we have broadcasters who have been trying to sell you, an analyst and whoever, that we're young. Who's the oldest team? Uh, I would say who's the oldest team? It's going to be a veteran team. I mean, I would probably say the Yankees. Correct. Then the Giants. Who's the youngest? I got that right? Yeah, it's the Yankees. 30.7. One for me. Who's the youngest? Let's see if you get it. Who's the youngest? Marlins. Look, no, I'll give you a clue. They're a playoff team right now. Jays. AL Central. 
My 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 guardians. Your guardians. The average age my of the guardians. Cleveland the Cleveland Guardians average age on according to Baseball Reference for their their hitters twenty six. The next youngest is the Pirates at twenty six point six, and they're thirty one game thirty games under or almost thirty games under five hundred. And here's the Guardians who are a playoff team. If you didn't, weren't paying attention yesterday, I we had to pick teams that we're rooting for from here on out. My National League team is the Fightins. I'm going with the Phillies. They won yesterday. And then my American League team, I'm going with the Guardians. Split a doubleheader. You know all the connections I have to the great city of Cleveland. Both teams I picked yesterday both lost, the Brewers and the Astros. Both lost. I mean, I've been to Cleveland. I've been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So have I. I've interviewed Ray Fossey at Heritage Park at his plaque. I'm doing it for Foss. That's what I'm doing. The Guardians for Foss. Um, yeah, young. Finally. Like, can we get some young guys, please? Some young guys. You My the, God. Do you know what the average age of our pitchers is? Oh, it's it's got to be 30s. Uh, the oldest is the Mets, actually. The A's, our average age for pitchers is 28.2. We're actually towards the bottom, in, like as in youngest. Guardians, again, 26.4. Stupid. Just stupid. You got to be young, man. You got to be young. But, I mean, it was a weird offseason, so I get it, where – you had the lockout. How we we got to build a team real fast. I'll give you the pass, right? You give you the pass, but now let's get these guys' feet wet. This was what it's like to be in the big leagues. This is what it's like to travel. This is what it's like to to be a professional on the road at home. This is what it's like to be on the plane. This is what it's like to do all the things you need to do. These are the media requirements. This is how PR because none of this happens in the minor leagues, right? Triple A, they're playing five-game series. I mean, this is what you know. This is Chris Townsend over here doing A's cast live on the field. You got to go talk to him. This is the writers. This is what you know. What if you mess up? Writers are going to ask you after the game. Got to have a good answer. Can't throw people under the bus. You have to learn how to be a professional. Is my point. So get these guys up here. Let them learn and see what it's like. So when they go to spring training. They're ready to compete. They're ready to understand what is being a big leaguer mean. How I got to dress, how I got to act, what does the paycheck look for? Uh, you know, how do I handle all this new money? You know, how do I make sure I'm protecting myself? You got to put boundaries around you. Boundaries is a, is a big thing for you. Anybody who has success, you need to have boundaries because everybody's going to want a, a piece of you. You've got to have boundaries to keep them out. Only let the right people inside your castle. you got to have a big moat with alligators outside. You only let the drawbridge down when it's the right people. Otherwise, keep those alligators in the moat and keep the bad people out. you got to learn this stuff. Do I need to bring up Fernando Tatis Jr. again? You need to learn at a young age how to be a pro. And if they're going to keep a Stephen Vogt around, get in his ear. Shea Langoliers. I, how, I don't know this at all. How much you want to bet Langoliers' locker will be next to Stephen Vogt's in the clubhouse? I think that's a safe bet. All right. Hey, talk to this guy. Multiple-time All-Star, World Series champion, hell of a human being. Learn from Stephen Vogt. Ask him. Why? 
Because Stephen Vogt, hell, he may be your manager someday. That's how good Stephen Vogt is. Stephen Vogt could be a manager in Major League Baseball someday. Learn from him. It's like a golden opportunity. Pick his brain. Follow him around. See what he eats. That's what I would do. If you called me up, if I was running the show, I would say put put Langoliers next to Vogt and tell Langoliers, you just follow this guy around. Have a pen and paper and whatever he says, write it down. Learn. Keep your mouth shut, your ears open, and learn because you'll learn a lot from this guy. And he wants to teach you. See, that's a great thing. And I'm sure Murph's going to be cool. I mean, Murph's not the biggest personality guy in the world, let's be honest. But still, you're kind of competition with Murph. You're not competition with Vote. Vote, Vote will be there. He knows his job is there to help Murph and to help you. You're laying ears. Go talk to Vote. Go talk to Vote. It's almost like the uh, modern day Crash Davis and uh, Tim Robbins' character in Bull Durham. Remember how he talks about to speak to the media, things like that. We laugh about those things, but that's actually what happens. And I think Vote could be a great. That actually was something that was very bad. I remember the first time we did Lou Trevino, and he gave me all cliches. It was like basically Bull Durham. I'm just ha- here to happy. I'm just here to help the ball club. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Come on, bro. You got to be a human being. Be yourself. Don't have to give me cliches. I'm not here to attack you. I'm not throwing you under the bus. It's not Hot Take Tuesday. I'm not trying to. I'm not breaking any news on social media. Let's just have a conversation. But. Um, Short Langoliers eats, sleeps, and breathes baseball, too. It's like Fran. The great Fran Reardon. There's another cliche for you. <laughs> the great Fran Reardon. You can either talk about David Ortiz or what you were talking about with James Caprillion. Caprillion. Or David Ortiz. Actually, we got to get into David Ortiz. That's pretty. Uh, where is it? Did you, you sent it to me, right? Did you put it in the playbook? Yeah, I, I can read you the quote for what he said. Hold on. I got it. MLB needs to have some regulations before they made public news like one that happened to Tatis Jr. I think they haven't handled this situation the right way. We can't kill our product. We're talking about an amazing player. But he passed. I mean, he did not pass a drug test. He has a performance-enhancing drug in his system when he took the test. You get suspended the first time for 80 games. What the hell are you talking about? What are they supposed to do, Big Poppy? Hide it? Act like it didn't happen? There wasn't a grand, there was no grand thing. News got out, press release, Padres got to deal with it. How else would you handle it? Sounds like you kind of want to cover it up. You mean like the test, the anonymous test that all the players took and guys who tested positive, it was never supposed to reach the light of day, but we found out you were the one of the guys that tested positive. Oh, and if we look at your career, kind of makes sense. Why a nobody all of a sudden is hitting all these home runs? But you're a likable guy, and everybody liked you. No one liked Bonds. Guys didn't like Clemens. So 
you know, end up not liking McGuire for some reason. Now y'all love Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa was doing commercials. McGuire were doing commercials. But all of a sudden, we threw them all under the bus. But we like Big Poppy. How, how else are they supposed to handle it? They didn't have a parade. They didn't celebrate it. They just told you, and they have to announce it, that he has failed a drug test. It's a test for drugs in your system, drugs that you're not allowed to take that's been collectively bargained. The players' union that represents the players have agreed that all these dis- all these different substances cannot be taken and put in your body as long as you're under contract as a Major League Baseball player. As long as you have signed a Major League Baseball contract, you cannot take these substances. It's been agreed upon. Owners agreed on it. Players agreed on it. If you fail a test, you are immediately suspended for 80 games. Let me read, after I have said that, let me read it again. Big Poppy, MLB needs to have some regulations before they made public news like one that happened to Tatis Jr. I think they haven't handled the situation the right way. We can't kill our product. We're talking about an amazing player. What is he talking about? What regulations? Yeah, I don't. I didn't like it when I sent it. When I first saw that, and it was from Hector Gomez on Twitter. When I first saw that, I I did not like the way that sounded. It just, it's hypocrisy at its best. Like you're, you. What if this wasn't Tatis? What if this was somebody else? What if this wasn't a star player? He didn't complain about Ramon Laureano or Frankie Montas. Exactly. But it's a star player. Star player. Star Dominican player. How are we supposed to handle it differently? Are we supposed to just have him go away and no one say why? Like what, what? 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 It's not Major League Baseball's responsibility to explain why he tests positive. That's not their responsibility. They're not the PR machine. He is the player represented by the Players Association. It's their job to put out the spin, which they have, and it's been horrific. Major League Baseball conducts the test. You failed. You let people know he's failed a test. He's suspended for 80 games. These are the rules that were agreed upon by Major League Baseball and the Baseball's Players Association. That's in the collective bargaining agreement, the CBA. So how do you handle it differently, Big Pop? Because he's a star player. What should we do? How do we handle it differently? Baseball's got to explain why he took a steroid. Baseball's got to explain why he should be suspended. Baseball's got to explain why they came together with these joint rules. Joint means both the players' union and the team. Why we use all these substances on on this list. He's a big boy, as I said earlier. He's a grown man. He's a grown enough man to sign a 14-year contract. He's grown enough to know what he puts in his body. He has enough money to have people around him 
to look at every medicine, every vitamin, every little thing that he takes to say, can I take this? It's BS, and I'm saying that kindly, all this stuff they're spinning. So, Big Poppy, as a guy who pretty much everybody knows you got away with it, are you saying he should get away with it? And why should he get away with it? Because he's a hotshot young player who was on the video game? He's a countryman? I mean, what? Because now he can't play in the World Baseball Classic. What? Why should he get away with it? Or how should they handle it? Like, all they do is they tell you and they suspend you. What What should they do differently? Yeah, there's nothing really you can do. I think he's just taking this because it's a star player and he doesn't want to see a guy suspended for 80 games. A-Rod sold it perfectly. I made a mistake. I knew I wasn't going to the Hall of Fame. Now he's not going to go into the Hall of Fame. But is that true, though? Think about it now. If David Ortiz is coming out saying this, it's Fernando Tatis. Say he comes back and he has a great next 12 years when he comes back after next year after missing 42 games or whatever it is. And he stays on that Hall of Fame track. Is he going to get in the Hall of Fame? Because we saw Ortiz get in. We can't kill our product. We're talking about amazing player. We can't kill our product. I mean, he's basically insinuating, do we have to tell people? Do we have to tell people? Do we have to suspend this guy? Like, can't? I mean, what else is he saying? Yeah. If it's anybody else, I think if it's not a star player like Fernand, like Nando, I don't, I don't think he says a thing. But what's he saying? Like, when he's saying we can't kill our product, hide it? Are we supposed to hide that he tested positive for a steroid? Is he not supposed to be suspended because he's a star player? Wow. Tells you everything you need to know about David Ortiz. Steven, thank you so much for coming on A's Cast Live. I can't imagine what it's like to do sports talk radio down in San Diego right now. It's like an absolute gift. You got the total present that is Juan Soto, and here's the Padres, and they're going for it. And then all of a sudden, you have the crash that is Tatis. Wow, what a wild week it's been down in Southern California. No question. And, and you know, uh, unfortunately, we're getting a little bit too used to the uh, Tatis roller coaster here. And, and you know, I'll, I'll start by saying it was a absolute kick in the gut uh, come Friday, sitting in my son's preschool, waiting uh, for my wife to come with my other son. And we're picking up my little guy and going to take him out to dinner for a big celebration. And that news came across my Twitter feed. And I, I mean, it was like panic almost. I, I, it was an emotional, visceral reaction, you know, to seeing that news. And you just can't believe it, you know. And then it's been an entire, uh, you know, the five stages of grief all weekend uh, and going through it and talking about it on the air uh, today with our audience. I mean, it's been, it's been, it's been a rough one, to be sure. It's, it's a tough thing to swallow. Oh, my God. I mean, the, the story broke right, right when we were ending our show and heading into pregame, which all of a sudden you go into a pregame. It, you know, it's no longer you're doing a talk show, so it changed. So we were only able to t- really talk about it a little bit because, uh, well, we should have kept talking about it because no one was really interested in Astros, uh, Astros A's. But, uh, you know, what people really need to understand, like young athletes have- up a lot like that's not something but the big difference here you know we can talk about shoulder separations we can talk about motorcycle accidents we can talk about steroids we can talk about ringworm you can look at all of that but the big thing here 
is that this young man was given one of the largest contracts in the history of American sports. We're talking $340 million with all this going on. It's one thing if he's got like a two-year, $25 million contract. I mean, Stephen, we're talking $340 million guaranteed. It's crazy. It, it is. It is. And that's what I think has led people to speculate so wildly, you know, of, of how this could happen, why it would happen. I'll say uh, off the get-go, nobody really buys the ringworm story. And, you know, you see, you see three or four of these every year. I would never knowingly take a performance enhancing drug. I would never put anything into my body. Uh, but you did, and you, you have, and now you failed the drug test. And, you know, I've talked to enough people to know that this drug in and of itself is not going to do a whole lot. Uh, but when you add it to other uh, performance-enhancing drugs, it actually helps quite a bit. So, you know, I, I thought it was the, the biggest misstep of the, the entire weekend, other than actually failing the drug test, you know, the excuse. And, uh, you know, we talked about it on the air today and on our show, and I just said, look, the one I, I, I never will understand why these guys don't come right out day one. And, and basically the Andy Pettit, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, I took it. I was trying to get back on the field. I haven't played it forever. My guys are in the middle of a pennant race. And I thought, uh, I thought it would help get me back on the field. And that's ultimately what I want to do. And, but you know, when you, when you lay these excuses out and it's just been a pattern. And I know Connery's general manager, AJ Preller. I mean, really, honestly, we've been covering Petit since his debut. We were there in the dugout day one. I've known him for a while and he's a good kid. I mean, make no mistake. Like, He's a good kid. Rain delays. The dude is out of the locker room signing balls for little kids. When there, there was a shooting in Washington, uh, Fernando was helping pull people into the dugout. He's a good person and a good kid uh, who continues, though, especially over the last year or so, to make mistake after mistake and try to cover things up when in reality, I mean, you know, the truth shall set you free. Um, and I, I, I just, I, it's like you tell your kids, you know, tell me the truth. You're going to be in way less trouble. <laughs> if I find out you covered it up, then you're toast. And all it's been, you know, for the last year or so, has just been cover up after cover up and misinformation and disinformation and a bad attitude, you know, getting kind of lippy with reporters when they ask them about his motorcycle accident and you, you respond with, well, which one? You know, that, those are the kind of things that, a 22, 23-year-old kid that has $300 million guaranteed, you're seeing the ego really went out uh, when common sense is just not, it's just not prevalent in that kid's life right now. There's an article in The Athletic today, and I just know this, having been in baseball a long time, we all know our teams better than anybody else. And I'm just, I'm reading this article, take it for what it's worth. But in this article in The Athletic, they talk about how Tatis opted not to undergo shoulder surgery when recommendation was to do it. Uh, His comeback now with the wrist, maybe trying to come back too early. And then this person, the source, says, not surprised at all. He does whatever he wants. So has there been culture around the Padres that from the time he's coming up as a young superstar, he's done whatever they've wanted, and they've always turned a blind eye. Yeah, I mean, I can't sit here in, in good conscience and say that I haven't heard the exact same things. Um, 
And I don't, you know, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how uncommon that is. We all went to high school, right? I went to high school. You guys went to high school. I went to Crawford High School in San Diego. Oh, beautiful. I've, I've played baseball at Crawford many times. Um, it, it's, it's, it's athlete culture, guys. I mean, I also went to Holy Cross College, home of Rudy, right? So I'm right across the street from Notre Dame. I was a bartender. At, Notre, at a Notre Dame college, all my buddies were Notre Dame football players, lacrosse players. Um, guys, this stuff's been going on forever, and it goes in high school, and these days, it goes in middle school. You know, I mean, guys are getting scouted by Alabama at age 14. This is a problem, and the lack of accountability is a problem. I saw Rex Chapman tweeting yesterday about how he was given grades in college. Yeah, just give him a B. Just pass him, right? We need him on the team. It, it's it, at some point it's all of our responsibility to make our own decisions. Absolutely. But when you grow up in that culture of everything handed to you, the thing that really irks me the most, and I said it today is, you know, you've got a father that had a long successful career in major league baseball. You were supposed to know better. And it seemed when he came up that he did. I mean, our, our talking points on him for years were, Oh, dude, he gets it. Day one, the guy's not nervous. He knows he belongs there. Like, he is a fit. And he was. And he's been so fabulous and fun to watch and cover. And after this latest, you know, with the motorcycle thing, I think the shine started to come off of him a little bit when he wasn't being accountable um, at all to, to the organization, to the fans. His father in the media saying, no, there was no accident. I mean, it's just a constant cover-up going on for the last year or so. So make no mistake that that's not a um, that's not a new thing in sports. A superstar being able to kind of carte blanche and do what he wants. I mean, in these days, like I said, it starts in freaking middle school. Sometimes um, Tatis is no different, no different whatsoever from from everybody. It doesn't make it okay, and it's not an excuse. But I mean, we've we've seen this forever. You know, we learned a lot about performance-enhancing drugs is up here in the Bay Area. We were the epicenter with the Balco scandal. And yeah. I'll never forget when A-Rod finally had to come clean, and we speculated it in Texas. What we never speculated was, was he doing it when he was a ma when he was – a mariner and he was young and getting 200 hits and you know because everything was on griffey and, and and the big unit so i want to ask this about tatis when i look at his numbers right now and i he comes onto the scene at 20 uh obviously in the covid year a shortened season still had great numbers last year the 42 home runs a lot of people will speculate maybe he was worried about the risk. Maybe he was trying to get healthy, like Andy Pettit was trying to get healthy faster. But does it, does it start to scare you that the skinny guy with unbelievable power may have been using longer than we think? You know, and I've, I've been asked that question a lot. And, you know, if somebody – like you guys, right? You're in the Bay Area. Well, I grew up a Yankee fan. Uh, my dad was a Yankee fan. So I grew up a Yankee fan, and I've – since I've had two sons and lived in San Diego for 13 years, I don't follow them much anymore. You know, my, the Padres are my life and they're my kids' lives and they're, we're all Padres fans, season ticket holders, the whole thing. Um, you know, I, I was asked the question, there's no, I think the way we're all as sports fans, we're, they, they kind of got us, right? They got us because 
we're just all assuming all the time that everyone is playing legit or everyone's playing dirty and only a few are getting caught. So I, I honest to God, I would say from my gut, I don't think so. Um, but how am I ever going to know? And that's the question you ask. I have no earthly idea. And that's what a failed test does. That's what it does when, when this happens. You now have to go back and look at every single accomplishment he's ever had uh, on the field. If he, comes, if he comes back from suspension without further incident and he is one for 30, you know, what's the natural talking head reaction going to be? Well, I mean, when you're not juicing anymore. Now, we all know, too, taking uh, testosterone or Winstrol or DECA or any of the things, the Balco, Cream, and the Clear, none of that guarantees super stardom. Because if it did, I bet you we would have had a lot more people pop for it. But somebody with his natural abilities like him, you know, to keep him on the field, to strengthen weak areas, Who's to say? I, I honestly, I honestly don't think he did. But now I sit there at night and go, well, I wonder. And the other thing I ask myself, and I'm sure you guys have asked yourselves too, do I care? You know, I like you got popped. This is on you now. It's going to hang over you for the rest of your life. You get a clean slate because, you know, the rules now, you know, one strike, two strikes, three strikes, you're out. You'd have to be a real buffoon to, to kind of fade again. So I do... I guess there's some doubt looking back, but I think anything he does moving forward will be under the assumption that he's clean because no moron would put himself with that much money uh, in that trouble again. Honestly, I just can't fathom that. Now, people have done dumber things than that, to be sure, but even him, I, I look at that and go, all right, I mean, if we're going to give him a pass once he's off suspension, I got to assume he's as clean as a whistle moving forward. Uh, let's end on this, and I want you to look into the crystal ball here, and we will always put the cart in front of the horse in sports talk. We always love to look ahead, even though we don't know the answers. Oh, yeah. You've got a $300 million contract with Manny Machado. He's balling, right? And I and I yeah, do believe amazing. I do think someday we'll see him in the Hall of Fame. We've dealt with him for years as an Oriole. You got this contract with Tatis Jr. And you bring in Juan Soto like this, he's going to, people are going to fall in love with him. You're going to want to sign him. So in a few oh, years, <laughs> so you got a few years, let's say in a few years, you got these three guys. You can't have all three. It's too, too expensive. Who do you think in the end will have to go? Great question. I mean, if you ask me right now today, I would say Tatis, but I, I, I don't, and, and there's there's legal ramifications there. I don't know if they could manipulate a contract. Not that I would necessarily want them to, you know. But out of look, if you gave me those three and said you've got them, you've got two of three for the next ten years. Manny is my favorite baseball player. He's my kid's favorite baseball player. Manny's also seven, eight years older than both of those guys and plays 158 games a year. Um, you know, give me Tatis and Soto, and I'll see what I can do for the next decade. Uh, even though I love Manny Machado with my entire heart, I'm thinking from a um, pragmatic business standpoint, uh, Manny's got an opt-out in a couple of years. Don't know what he'll do with it. Maybe the drama here is too much for him, and he ends up opting out trying to get a better deal. And, and I don't know that that's out there, but he's sure playing like he's playing for that now. He's playing lights out. 
Uh, I would take my chances with a, a same age, a 25-year-old Tatis and Soto in the two and three hole for the rest of the decade uh, anytime. I, I don't know any baseball fan that wouldn't. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of A's fans pulling for the Padres because our good friend Bob Melvin is down there and what Bob he's, has meant to the A's for all these years. So, uh, and, and even though the Dodgers have a big lead, and you can say this for all the teams chasing the wild card, you just got to get in, and once you get in, it's anybody's game. Hey, thank you so much for the time. We know you're on in the morning, and it's not easy. You don't really want to do much after work, so we appreciate it. We'll check in later during the season. Guys, it's my pleasure. Call me anytime you need anything. Is Robert here? Robert was breaking news today. Robert, how are you? Welcome back to Ace Cast Live. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. Been a very busy day, even though the trade deadline is two weeks over from now. Wow. Congratulations on breaking the Walker Bueller news. I appreciate that big time. That's a huge blow for the Dodgers, although not totally unexpected, but still a massive blow for them. Now, is this going to be his second Tommy John surgery? So they don't know exactly what this surgery is going to be. Uh, They're entering it basically blind right now as they – Neil Elitrosh, the doctor who's performing the surgery, recommended that he undergo a procedure just to like see what exactly the issue is. Uh, so the Dodgers, they're being pretty vague on what the injury is and also the timetable. Uh, so they should know more once this is over. But this is obviously not the kind of development that they wanted here. No, and they're just coming off winning 12 straight. I know they lost yesterday in Kansas City. Uh, but they've been rolling. They've been just beating people up, and they've been doing it without Bueller and Kershaw. But once you get to the postseason, how much does this change the Dodgers not having this guy who has been their lead guy? Yeah, it changes everything. And he's the kind of guy who can go toe-to-toe with the best pitchers in the league. And the fact they don't have him, um, that is going to create some different matchup problems for Dave Roberts. I mean, he's got experience doing it in the past, of course, so like he's not – a first-time guy going into this. Uh, but not having Walker Bueller, um, it makes the rotation vulnerable and it puts a lot more pressure on that offense that they've spent so much money on uh, in the years past and even this year uh, to perform. Same with the bullpen, too, and their other starters to step up as well. Yeah, when we have injuries now, or even like at the beginning of August, it, it was panic, but we had the waiver wire process. There was still an opportunity, right, that you might be able to find somebody. You know, most players at one point in their career would have been put on waivers. Now that that's gone, great for the fans' trading deadline. What does that do for these front offices to where they don't have that safety net? Yeah, it, it makes it a lot more difficult for them and it places pressure on them like before the trade deadline and make those kind of moves. And we've got to see some movement after the trade deadline with a bunch of these veteran players get designated for assignment. Some teams claimed, uh, claim them off waivers. Like Fran Mel Reyes was one of them who uh, did not last long in the waiver wire. Like that was somebody that the Cubs ended up pouncing on um, pretty quickly. And then all like specifically for the Dodgers in this case, like they're more well-equipped to handle this because they have Dustin May returning from the injured list. And they're going to be careful not to overwork him. Um, now that he's coming back from Tommy John surgery, they're also going to have Danny Duffy come back. He's only going to pitch out of the bullpen, but still that provides another arm. But uh, to answer your question about the waiver wire, yeah, it, it makes things a lot more challenging for these front offices. Um, and it places pressure on them to like, add depth whenever they have the uh, opportunity to do so. I guess you would say the Mets are the biggest challenge, but maybe you see somebody else in the National League. Who do you think is the biggest challenge to the Dodgers? 
Yeah, the Mets are clearly the team that stands out. And I'll give you two of them, actually. Um, I'll give you the Atlanta Braves because they were there last year and they advanced um, to the postseason or they advanced and won the World Series. And they have a team that is really, really, really good. Their pitching staff, they just optioned Ian Anderson, who is their most vulnerable starter. And the rest of the rotation is is phenomenal. Uh, Their offense, led by Austin Riley and Matt Olson, has been great. Uh, Michael Harrison, they he's just been a, a great addition ever since they called him up from double A. Um, and then I'll also give you the St. Louis Cardinals, too. They are a team that year in and year out, I don't know what it is, but they just seem to always compete. And this year, they their biggest need was rotation, and they ended up getting Jose Quintana and Jordan Montgomery, even though everybody was clamoring for them to get Juan Soto. Um, and they've surged out of the trade deadline and look like the team to beat the Central. So I'll give you those two teams. It's the biggest competition for the Dodgers. You know, well, you know, kind of, the, kind of the big hot stories we got, not only the playoff schedule coming out, and, you know, we've got the whole the brackets and everything, how it looks, and it's a lot of fun to look at. Uh, it's all obviously Otani versus Judge, American League MVP, but it's also Tatis. And we talked to a show host down in San Diego. They're devastated. And there's, you know, whether you're talking about the shoulder problems that he's had, the wrist problems, now steroids, it's like you throw all that immaturity and everything that's going on, you know, falling off the motorcycles at more than once, you're still talking 14 years and $340 million, one of the biggest contracts in the history of professional sports. What a gamble. To me, the immaturity, the issues, the steroids, my God, just just talk about the whole situation with the Padres and this huge contract that they have hanging around their neck. No, you're you're spot on with that. And it's something that the Padres need to solve quickly. Um, and A.J. Preller has even gone on the record, and he made some very strong comments, which we have not heard from Preller since he went to San Diego. Like, that was the most stern he's ever been. Uh, in a press conference and he's got every right to be upset with this like fernando tatis he committed 340 million dollars to this player who hadn't even played a full season in the majors and he's suffered all these injuries and now he's suspended for 80 games when they were just on the brink of getting him back and like this entire situation like his dad ended up going on the record and said this was because of a haircut um and it was like I'll tell you, like there's people who don't believe that the ringworm story is legit. Like it, it actually is real. Um, from the reporting that I've done, I've confirmed it. Um, and he ended up taking a substance that contained um, this banned substance, and it resulted in the suspension. But it, it was on him to to confirm that it like it was within protocol, and he didn't do that. And that's ultimately on him. And I wonder now, like this is just me completely speculating. Um, but I wonder now that he's got all this time to recover, uh, away from baseball, I wonder if he undergoes that surgery on his shoulder to repair it. Um, cause there was a lot of people who ultimately believed that he was going to need it at some point. Uh, now he's got the time to do it. It would make sense to me. I haven't heard, but, um, but first he really needs, he needs to like look in the mirror and reflect and grow from this because if not, then this could look like a $340 million mistake for the Padres. So let's get back to the ringworm. Because there's multiple ways to cure ringworm. And this is a PED that's linked to other PEDs. So I'm, I, I, it's like if I just took this just because of ringworm and I had a legit 
doctor. I every I would fight this till the cows come home because even though the big money kicks in later, he's still going to lose a couple million. I think it's like three million bucks or whatever. Yep. Wouldn't there be a much bigger fight if this was really just about curing ringworm from a haircut? Yeah, I mean, to me, there would be. And I believe at first he actually did appeal this thing, but ultimately he ended up just accepting the suspension. And I'm, yeah, you're right. I'm curious why there hasn't been more of a fight from Tatis in his camp, but um, ultimately they, they decided not to do it. They accepted the punishment. And, and um, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, like, the Padres, they're equipped to w- overcome this thing here, but not having Tatis back, that is such a huge blow. Um, and it places a lot more on the shoulders of Juan Soto, that pitching staff. And when he eventually returns, or even before he returns, he's got to answer a lot of questions because players in that clubhouse, specifically Mike Clevenger and some others, they were like, this is the second time he's disappointed us. And now he needs to like, he needs to own up to it. So I'm curious to see how he responds to that too. Yeah, I'm almost, I know this would be a whole brouhaha with the players union, but like for the Padres right now, you know they would love to take that $340 million, take it back, give it to Juan Soto, and add some money to it so they could sign Juan Soto. I just, to make these huge commitments that we're seeing, I mean, right now, Mike Trout, bad back, we don't know. You know, Anthony Rendon, out for the year. It's been a dumpster fire. Just, but, but. A way for you to get out of these contracts from a PED standpoint, I don't think they'll ever do it, but I know that from a business, it'd be like, okay, if you get popped for PEDs once or twice, I got to be able to get out of this deal. Because no matter what, he they're still going to owe him over $300 million, and it's just like, oh, my God. Yeah, and you're right. It's I would be floored, and I mean floored, if they ended up rescinding this contract or voiding it, because that would just be a legal nightmare. Yeah. But – the fact that this has happened and the shoulder injury and the motorcycle stuff has happened. Um, yeah. I, I mean, if the like, I still think the Padres would do this deal just because Tatis is a, he's a generational talent. And if you end up looking at what he did when he was healthy, that's what they picture him doing for the next 10 plus years. So yeah, I still think they would do this thing. Uh, even though there's been like this much gone wrong so quickly. Um, but yeah, I'll tell you, like, this, this is another reason why, I mean, not maybe not like a perfect example, but the other guys you mentioned before, like Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, even Albert Pujols before that, yeah. why we don't see these 10 plus year contracts is they rarely work out. Um, Tatis's was different just because he was what, 21 or 22 when he signed it. So he was going to be done or was going to be done when he was in his age 36 season. But yeah, I'll tell you, those are becoming a rarity. And I think Soto's is going to be the next, but after that, I don't know how many of those we're going to see. The press conferences look great, right? The unity and the GM and the managing general partner and everything looks great. And we're going to have this guy forever. <laughs> it's just like they yeah. just they just don't work out. Or if you're Mike Hampton with the Rockies, if you remember, he just liked the school districts. It wasn't about the money or the years. It was about the school districts. Uh, I, I want you to weigh in. Everybody's weighing in on it because – X amount of games to go. People want to talk AL MVP, Judge, Otani. Where would you go? This Apparently, this is a hot take because a lot of people are going with Aaron Judge. But I'm going with Shohei Otani with this. And this is not to discredit what Aaron Judge has done this season because he's been brilliant. 
what Judge has done this year has been, I mean, 46 home runs, 100 RBI already this like this early into the season is extremely impressive. But if you look at Shohei Otani, like, yeah, he's got, what, 26 homers this year. His, his numbers are slightly down offensively from what they were last year. But his his pitching numbers have been extremely good, um, like to the point where they're like ace level. And we're looking at a player who's basically like a Max Scherzer and Matt Olson type combined. And yeah, the, the angels aren't doing that well this season, but I still think that Otani deserves the MVP this year. And I was running this exact scenario by somebody even the other day. And he was like, if Shohei Otani does not win the MVP, it is the biggest like baffling decision or the most baffling decision in baseball history. Um, it may be like a bit of a strong comment, but like, that's what he said. And he's a very trusted baseball executive. So like, I mean, I, I listen whenever he says something, but even though he said it, like, even with him saying that, I have to agree. I would go with Shohei Otani and that's not a slight at Aaron judge, just how good Shohei Otani is. I, I, it's, it's a fascinating debate because I, I can see it. You know, a good debate is when you can see both sides to yep. me, it's not one-sided because I could see the judge crowd goes, wait a minute, this guy hasn't been pitching every five days, and he's a DH. My guy's out there playing center field. He's playing right field. He's playing defense. He's hitting all these home runs. He's driving in runs. He's got walk-off hits, walk-off wins. He's been a monster. So, I mean, it's a really, you know, when people are going to have to put their name on it and they're going to have to vote – because, I mean, no disrespect, Jordan Alvarez is fantastic. He beats the hell out of the A's. We see it. Uh, and Jose Ramirez continues to be a terrific player. But, obviously, this will come down to Judge and Otani. And you can make a case for both guys, and really both cases are good. Yeah, both cases are extremely strong. And I'm kind of hoping that I don't have to be part of that voting for the MVP just because, like, I mean, it's going to end up being whoever votes for whoever is going to get ridiculed one way or another. Um, but I mean, if, no matter who gets it, like, as you said, you can see both sides of this argument and like, there, I don't think there's a wrong decision here. Um, but I'll tell you, baseball's in really good hands at the same time. We got Otani who's just getting started, Aaron judge, who's 30 years old and still has a lot more left. And we have all these other players too. Like it speaks to the overall talent we have in baseball. And we've like seen it reflect in the numbers, like throughout the, uh, like the broadcast and everything, like numbers are skyrocketing right now, which is like. It's a great thing, and it's because of this talent and uh, because of these debates and the ones we're having right now, too. Well, you know, when you guys vote, they put you in different categories. So you're saying you'd rather have, like, rookie of the year versus MVP? Okay, I'd rather have MVP. <laughs> yeah. uh, you got me there. That, that's well done. Like that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> ah, Cy Young Award winner. Here we go. No, I mean, it's a lot of fun. It, it, it's been a lot of fun to talk about. Um Something that has now gotten interesting. I mean, normally, let me tell you, getting ready for this, uh, the Texas Rangers are 23 games out of first place while our beloved A's are 33 and a half games out of first place. So when you say A's, Rangers, four games set in Arlington, most people aren't running to uh, their television sets. But uh, Chris Woodward fired today, 
you know, we've talked a lot to the Ranger people. You know, you you look at the money that uh, Seeger got. You look at the money Simeon got, and they said, hey, listen, this is all part of the plan. John Daniels, Chris Young, that they understand they're not going to win now. They're going to spend more money on pitching in the offseason. They got money with the new ballpark. They're going to be ready to spend. We heard all this kind of stuff, and then, bang, they fired Woodward, who got an extension for next year and an option for the next and I say, okay, you fire this guy. Then you realize four managers have been fired in season. That's 14% of the managers in Major League Baseball have been fired. And you know more will get fired at the end of the year. What does that tell you? That there's a lot of pressure on these managers to perform and win now. And, like, we got to see it earlier in the year. Joe Girardi, I believe, was the first one with Philadelphia. And they've come out of the gates just flying after that like rob thompson is like seriously in consideration to get that job full-time the angels have been basically the exact opposite of that um after firing joe madden i will say though like the fact that chris woodward got this extension that you just mentioned um it it really surprises me that he got fired and when the report surfaced earlier today that he was fired i'm like i stopped in my tracks i was in the middle of a workout actually and i was just like hmm, like why, why would they do this and like even entering this year after signing like the for 500 million dollars they end up getting Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon they knew this year they weren't going to be in a position where they were going to be able to like compete with the upper class in, in the American League this was going to end up being a multi-year thing and Woodward was a the guy they identified as a person to do that and ultimately they ended up having a, a change of heart like throughout the year with some of the decisions he was making and like some of the or the direction of the franchise that he wasn't going to be the guy and i i think this what this does like obviously as you said this is a fourth manager that's fired now but it places a lot of pressure on this Texas Rangers front office led by John Daniels and Chris Young to get this next hire right because they've invested a lot in this roster hasn't performed to to date so far um and if they don't get this next hire right, then they could be on the jobs or on the on the market looking for jobs as well. Yeah, they love throwing this stat out there, the six and twenty-four and one run game. So obviously there was something to that. Uh before we let you go, you do a great job breaking stories. And a lot of fans always wonder, like, how do these guys do it? How do these guys know what so before you hit tweet. Before, what do you have to have? How many sources? How many people have to verify? Just take our fans through it when you have something. Like a Walker Bueller. This is a breaking story. This means a ton in our sport. How do you go through that process? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's something that it varies by the story. Is At the end of the day, you ultimately want to have or you need to have in order to report something, somebody directly involved. And if you don't have that, then for me, I don't tweet it because I'm a huge believer that you need to be 100% confident when you report something. And like, there's people like in this case, or I'll even take you back to the trade deadline. There was a couple of cases where I ended up getting the Russell Iglesias trade and also the Harrison Bader one. And I had heard those secondhand and you end up getting, you text people who are directly involved and they could be like, yeah, or they could be like, no. And in that case, both of them were ended up right. I got them confirmed right off the bat and then was able to send them. Um, but the reporting the stories thing, it's not as easy as people think it is. Just because you people think it's like a, a you wait for somebody to text you. 
But in reality, it's a year round conversation that you have with sources that ultimately leads you to get that kind of information at the deadline or even in the off season too. Um, I'm learning on the fly here. I'm still only 26. This is actually my 10 year anniversary of being in baseball today. So I appreciate you guys. having. You got me. in at 16 and at 16. I created a random Twitter account talking baseball. And, and now here I am at 26. Did you have a driver's license yet before you created that? I actually did not. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, by the way, your girl, Jessica Kleinschmidt over there, she was, uh, she was one of my biggest supporters. So I appreciate Jess big time. She's the best. No, she's fantastic. We're lucky to have her. Hey, you're a great follow. You're a great interview. Fansided.com. Always appreciate the time. Be well. And let's talk soon. Let's do it. I appreciate you guys having me. Have an awesome day. Great stuff. This is for Sarah Langs when she comes on. The A's rank last in the majors in batting average at 215 and on base percentage at 277. The only teams in American League history. Now think about that. American League history is a long time. To bat under 217 in a season are the 1910 White Sox at 211 and the 1968 Yankees at 214. Lowest on-base percentage in AL history is 274. You know this team, right? 1968. Wait, read it again. The lowest on-base percentage. How do you not know? This is like the easiest question in the world. Who's got the lowest on-base percentage in American League history at 274? This is, I mean, this is probably – standard, easy, trivial pursuit baseball question. I feel like you're going in a facetious direction here, so I'm going to say Cleveland Spiders. The 1905 Washington Senators. <laughs> Sarah Langs from MLB.com joins us here on A's Cast Live. How are you? We have missed you. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. And, oh, my gosh, I don't do negative stats, but those did not sound great at all I just not at all I mean it's just it's just to me it just takes too much time to find that kind of stuff like if I'm searching and I'm finding the 1905 Washington Senators there's got to be something better I can do with my life probably probably but you know we always try to look on the bright side so hopefully there is a bright side somewhere with that and hey they might finish the season batting a lot higher than 217. So you just have to hope for that. Well, the two hottest stories in baseball are Fernando Tatis Jr. And your medical knowledge is about viruses because your mom's a virologist. So we're not going to go there. Uh, So we'll stay on the side of the second biggest story Really is American League MVP, and it's starting. We're starting to get articles. You're involved in it now as we're looking at, okay, here you got a guy playing in New York for the Yankees. I want to say, because I looked it up today, it's 54 games in center, 49 games in right, uh, like 17 or 18 at DH. He's a monster. The What, what was it? He's got what? 100 RBIs, 46 jacks, 96 runs scored, over 1,000 OPS. Judge is a monster, and he's playing every day. And then you got the guy out west playing for a terrible team in the Angels and Otani, who 
When he pitches, really darn good. And he's a DH, and he's really darn good. But he doesn't play every well defensively. So it's like you start looking at MVP, and Otani won it easily last year, so why not this year? Where are you weighing in on this Judge versus Otani? No offense to Jordan Alvarez or Jose Ramirez. They're having great years, but these two guys are the front runners. For sure, they are. You know, to me, I think it is Judge right now, and partially because he's going to set an American League record for home runs. Of course, the Yankee record is the American League record. And I think if we look back in history, like 10, 15 years from now, and he did something historic like that, and he didn't win MVP, we'll probably think that looks a little bit silly. For me, it has nothing to do with the team, nothing to do with the fact that the Yankees are that much better than the Angels. Otani is incredible. We almost need a different award for him. But I think given that he has such strong competition this year, it's probably Judge. But we're going to be having this conversation every year that Otani continues to do this. Now, do you want to know who's going to disagree with you? Who? The Rally Monkey, the Angels. We got an actual rally. Have you ever seen an actual Rally Monkey? I have not. I have not. I love it. Look at you. Yeah. Well, well, well we're playing the Rangers, so we got Nolan Ryan yeah. here. So we got a Nolan bobblehead here. We honor the people in our own division. We've got the uh, we got the Snow Globe Safeco Field. It's now T-Mobile Park. And the, oh my roof, and the roof goes back. Yeah, we honor the people in our division. We love the people in our division. But this Gotta is this is the this is a rally monkey right here. Uh, I, you know, everybody's been beating me over the head all these years about war and how important war is because it includes everything. Well, if everybody's been telling me for all these years how important war is, and judges war is better than Otani's, and you're counting Otani as a pitcher and a hitter. That tells you how good Judge is. And I just wonder, since, you know, Otani has not gone every five days as a pitcher, and he's just a DH, how much of Judge playing in the field, and like I said, 50, I think it is 54 games in center field, how much does that play into him having a better war? I mean, it certainly helps him. You know, he has a certain amount of defensive war. But I also think that's where kind of the intangibles play in. The time he spent in center field is probably the most valuable thing he's done for the Yankees all year. I know he's hitting all of these home runs, but they have a lot of guys who can hit. But they were really at a loss for a good center fielder for a good portion of the year. And the fact that he was able to move over there, have Giancarlo Sin playing right when he was healthy, and just for them to have that alignment was really, really helpful to how the team was functioning. So I think even if his defensive war isn't a significant numerical factor, I think that gets to one of the intangibles about what has made him such a valuable player this year. Yeah, it's crazy when like the A's are playing the Yankees and he's out in center field. It's like it's like watching an NBA power forward play center field. You're like, I just can't believe a guy that big is playing center field. It's crazy. I, I do agree and and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go on the 
oh, one guy plays on a better team. I'm not worried. I mean, just when you look at the volume of what Judge gives you, I'm not so – if Otani goes out and he gives me six innings and he strikes out a time, it's like, okay, he gave me six innings. I now got to get these other innings. Or he goes five or six. I'm just – I'm not impressed by pitchers who only give me five or six. I just It just doesn't do much for me. Uh, the, the, what Judge is doing is incredible. He's, he's a one-man wrecking crew, and he does it every day, and he's doing it in the field. I believe it plays a lot. And I am so rooting for him to break Roger Maris's record, and it has nothing to do with anything that um, you would think about. It actually is a personal thing for me. Is Giant fans – and we'll count your mother. Giants fans have never had to come to grips truly with the cheating bonds in 73. They've glossed over it for so many years. And you being in New York and you being also someone who works on MLB Network, I think you're going to agree with me on this. When Aaron Judge hit 62, everybody in New York's going to go, that's the true record. Barry Bonds was on steroids. Barry Bonds should have the asterisks. And I believe the New York media is going to run over the soft San Francisco giant media. They won't be able to handle it. They're going to try and defend Barry, but it's going to look ugly because you're defending PEDs, essentially. I think for the first time, giant fans are going to have giants media, which basically they all are giants fans. We know who they are. Uh, They're going to have to defend this, and it's not going to look good. And I can't wait to see it. I'm actually rooting for Aaron Judge. Well, we'll see. I mean, what I will say is, you know, I go with the numbers. So when I go to baseball reference, we have Sammy Sosa. We have Mark McGuire. We have Barry Bonds. They're listed right there. So, you know, I mean, these numbers exist regardless of what may have happened and route to them. But I do think there may be a narrative there. But even regardless, even not to, you know, uh, imply any fighting or anything like that, to break a record that has stood for so long in the American League. You were discussing the American League. Think of how many individual player seasons that is. And the fact that these are the New York Yankees, the most hallowed franchise in all of sports, I think that alone will be a really big deal. But, you know, he's on pace for 65 right now. I, I'm very excited to see where this goes. You know, when I when I think about the Yankees and I made, you know, I never make crazy comments on this show. Everything is so calculated. I never get out over my skis here, Sarah. I did make a prediction back, was it June, Cody, that I made the prediction about the Yankees? Oh, yes, it was. I made a guarantee in June that the Yankees won't go to the World Series and won't win the World Series because when the A's were back there, everybody had already crowned them and wanted to make them champions. I go, they're too one-dimensional. And still to this day, like 52% of all their runs come from home runs. And they're, they, what was it? There's only They've only won three games. Now, when I had this stat, it was a, probably like a week ago, but they haven't been winning games. They've only won like three games this year where they didn't homer. So if they get into a postseason and they get into a series where they face anybody who's kind of hot, Man, I'm not I'm not I don't know how much stock I'm buying in the Yankees as a playoff team. Would you agree or disagree? I do think that we saw when they faced the Astros that they are not necessarily in the same class as the Astros. 
I think they were for a period of time this year. But I think early in the season, they were probably overperforming a little bit. And now I think they're probably underperforming. But I think that true answer in the middle is still not as good as Houston. And we'll see. I mean, who knows what a hot Mariners team could look like in October. You just never know. But I do think exactly. I mean, hot with the snow, maybe a cold team. Maybe that's a good thing for the snow globe. Who knows? But regardless, I do think that we've seen the issues with their pitching staff, especially over the last month to two months here. Their bullpen is in pretty dire straits right now with how Clay Holmes has been pitching, the injury to Michael King, all of that. So we'll see where they end up. I mean, I agree. It's certainly a one-dimensional offense. I think they have the ability to be better offensively, but I worry about that pitching overall. And again, when you're facing these really good pitchers in the playoffs, as you said, if you can hit those home runs, you could be in a really tough spot. Well, I'll tell you what, talk about pitching and breaking news. You know, watching what the Dodgers have done, winning 12 straight. Obviously, that ended yesterday in Kansas City. They're trying to tie the record for the L.A. Dodgers. It was like 62 and can't remember the other year. But that 13 straight was the record since they moved west in 1958. They fall one short. Uh, and there's been all this talk about, look how great the Dodgers have been without Walker Bueller, without Walker Bueller and without Clayton Kershaw. The breaking news that just came down right before you came on, we are commercial break. Walker Bueller is done for the season. He is going to have season-ending elbow surgery. They're not saying what kind. It's a flexor strain, so i got to think it's Tommy John, right? Not that kind of doctor. Not, not really that I got gotcha. you. Kind of but doctor. but but what you could talk about is 100%. no Bueller, knowing he's not coming back. Dodgers have been great without these guys, and they've been getting tremendous starting pitching. How much do you worry once you get into the playoffs and everybody's records are zero and zero, and you don't have Walker Bueller? You do wonder about it. I mean. They do still have Dustin May coming back. He threw an immaculate inning in his rehab start the other night. By all accounts, he's looked really good. But, I mean, I was talking about Bueller earlier today on a podcast and said, hey, getting him back will be such a big thing for this team. But then you look at that streak that you mentioned, not just 12 straight, but 12 straight all by multiple runs. That's a testament not just to the offense, but also to the pitching staff. So I think that they will be able to endure it. But you do start to wonder, I mean, the National League right now, top two teams, you have the Dodgers and the Mets. And maybe this puts, I mean, who's going to want to face Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer in a postseason series? So now it's an advantage going to the Mets maybe rotation-wise, even with the fact that DeGrom's health is kind of always hanging there as a question mark, I'm not sure. But if any team can rebound from news like this, it is the Dodgers. He hasn't pitched in two months, so, you know, they've been doing this without him anyway. You know, it's funny. I've just been watching the captain like all we've all been watching the documentary on, it's fantastic, on Derek Jeter. And I don't know if 
if I'm on, on the fourth one where they went through the Subway Series and talking about how crazy the Subway Series was in 2000. It was a long time ago, but you, you think back to the Clemens and Piazza and what that time was like in New York City. You know, everybody had a dog in the fight, and it was the first time two New, two New York teams had hooked up in the World Series for a long time. Hey, you never know. I'm looking at the Mets now. They're still leading the uh, – and they got a big series starting tonight with the Atlanta Braves, but what's it like in New York City right now with the Yankees and the Mets? Well, there's certainly a lot of excitement. You know, the Yankees, despite having, you know, the second-best record in the American League, are the fans are not happy right now. They haven't been playing well overall, especially over this last month or so. So I would say the two fan bases are probably in slightly different spots, but it's really cool for the city when both of these teams are good. We saw it with the two-game series between them uh, at the end of July, the Subway Series. You know, the Mets swept, and Mets fans were going off about how big of a deal it was. It was a two-game series in July. You know, let's see what happens in October and November. But regardless, the energy of those games. I mean, I was just watching on TV doing my job and I could feel the energy through the TV. You know, there's so much excitement about these teams, about baseball in New York. And, you know, I love to see that. I love anything that gets people excited about baseball. Well, it's funny in the captain, when they're talking to Jeter about it, I, I, I would cut, if I did it, if I did a talk show in New York, and I was a Mets guy, I would be running this over and over because Jeter was hilarious. He was like, you know, I'm everybody's making a big deal about it, but to us, I mean, they're just the Mets. Like, it's the Mets. Like, who cares? It's the Mets. (laughs) And Jeter, at one point in the outtakes, they showed it, and he goes, man, I know people are going to come after me about this, but come on, it was just the Mets. It's just the Mets. Why The Yankees don't sweat the Mets, right? I don't think so. I mean – I think that's kind of the nature of it, right? The Mets are the newer team to New York. They're the younger team. They're the historically less successful team. You know, two World Series, two 27 World Series championships. But you never know, you know, what uh, what could happen if they do face off in the World Series. But there's definitely some of that sort of like little sibling mentality, something like that, where I think, the Mets fans tend to care more about the outcome against the Yankees and maybe vice versa. So I was watching when I got the report yesterday, Rasmussen, you know, has a perfect game going. So I turned it on my computers watching A's Astros. I was almost turning it on as much to know I can't wait for Tampa to pull them early so then I can rag on it the next day. And of course <laughs> they end up pulling him anyway, but he gives up the hit and the run. But it's the 10th year anniversary of King Felix throwing a perfect game. We haven't had a perfect game since. And the longest drought was Catfish Hunter with the A's when the A's moved west in 1968 to Lynn Barker in 1981. We got a major drought going. Perfect games. Kind of shocked by that with all the strikeouts that and, and, bat, and weak contact and low batting average. Are you shocked that we haven't had a perfect game recently? It is surprising. You know, I think it's funny. I believe that two or three 
of the no-hitters last year when we had a handful of them were one play away from being a perfect game. John Means, there was the uh, drop third strike, and then uh, I believe there were two others where there was either one walk, one hit by pitch, something like that. I believe Rodon hit someone in the ninth, maybe, kind of like Scherzer did way back in uh, whatever that would have been, 15. But anyway, we've been so close to the idea of a perfect game. It almost feels random to me just because we have seen a proliferation of no-hitters. We had all of those no-hitters last year, a ton of bids this year. But, you know, I mean, it's a lot to go out there and, you know, strike out 10 guys and not walk anyone, something like that. We don't even see that many of those kinds of outings these days, let alone doing that and also not having anyone get a hit or anything else like that. But it is fascinating that in this era of so many no-hitters, we still haven't gotten to another perfecto. But I know that Mariners fans kind of take that as their badge of pride. I know there's some Mariners fans who celebrate when the perfect bids are over because they want Felix to still have the most recent one. So we'll see how much longer that keeps going for them. I really thought he was going to do it yesterday. I really, really did. Jorge Mateo, former A's prospect. He came over in the Sunny Gray trade, uh, broke it up, and later would score on a wild pitch. All right, let's end on this. I'm going to take – so now we're in a true playoff format, which I love. Uh, We came out with all the dates today. Uh, It could be be a cold World Series if we're playing in November. But I'm going to take out the number one and two seeds. You cannot pick them. So that's the Astros, Yankees, and and the American League. And that's the Dodgers and the Mets in the National League. Out of the rest of the guys that are remaining as of right now, that's Rays, Guardians, Mariners, Blue Jays, Phillies, Cardinals, Padres, Braves. If you could buy stock because you want to make a lot of money, it's not cheap to live in New York City in the box you live in there in Manhattan. Uh, If you had to pick one of those teams and you're going to buy stock in one of those teams, which one would it be? I think it has to be the Braves, partially because they did this last year. They had the lowest winning percentage entering the month of August for any eventual World Series champion. They were below 500 entering August. They went at the trade deadline, remade their outfield, made up for that Acuna injury. The bullpen got so good in the postseason. And why would Brian Snicker not be able to rally the troops that way again? They called up Michael Harris at the end of May, and then they went on that huge win streak. Now they called up Vaughn Grissom a couple of days ago. He's already hit two home runs. I saw a tweet like 20 minutes ago about him working out with Ron Washington on the field, the classic infield defense uh, you know, school with Ron Washington. If he is doing that, he knows what he's doing. So, I think if I'm taking a team outside those four, I would go with the Braves. But again, I mean, are we really going to see, speaking of droughts, are we really going to see a back-to-back champ? I don't know. Been a long time since the Yankees went back-to-back. A very long time. The longest drought ever that we've ever had. And 
you know, that speaks to how difficult it is to get through this grind. And now, of course, with that extra round, the Braves, if they were to do that, assuming they don't overtake the Mets there, would have to get through a lot to do it. Well, it is great to see you. Thank you so much for the time. You be well. We'll be watching you. We'll be reading you. We'll be just following on Twitter. We'll just be following the multimedia career that is the great Sarah Langs. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. So great to see you guys. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Sarah Langs. Nobody better. Follow her on Twitter. Fran, I don't know if you got called this, but we 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 said earlier today you're one of the greatest leader of men we have ever seen. The great Fran Reardon. <laughs> well, thanks. I mean that means a lot. How are you? How have you been? I've been good. I've been good. Just uh, here in Sacramento, getting ready to play the the River Cats tonight. Well, you, you, I, I know how much these conversations have what they mean to you, and you've had them over the years, and it's one of the great things about your job when you got to tell Shay Langoliers that he's going to the big leagues, what was it like? It was, it was incredible. I mean, Shay's such a, such a great dude, such a great player. And, you know, his teammates love and respect him so much and what he does on the field and what he does off the field to be able to give a guy that news for the first time and to, to see the shock, the, the enjoyment, the culmination of uh, an entire life of really hard work to get to the point that he was at. And then the realization that it's happening, you know, and to see all of those emotions go across a, a man's face in the matter of 10 seconds is like you said, the best part of my job. And uh, you know, it was, it was really special to tell Shay he was going up. And he's really earned it too. When you look at the standpoint of how long he's been down there with you, uh, what he did in the Futures game, the the season that he's having, you know, I mean, he. You look at the numbers. We talked to you. We talked to you a long time ago about how fast he is on Statcast. I mean, wouldn't you say his production and everything he's done in the time that he spent there for you, he's earned this promotion? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, that's that's one thing that he has been so great at this year you know you, you look at his numbers you look at the overall body of work but you look at the consistency and to, to see the consistency consistency that he displays you you do have to watch him play every day but it's there every day he brings it every day he doesn't take days off he doesn't take pitches off he doesn't take innings off he doesn't give away at bats he's always the same guy and when you're you're looking at a young player if you're looking at a, a catcher that's going to have a, a great major league career I think that's the one word that you have to put at the forefront when you describe Shea is his consistency, his consistency in manner, his consistency in play, and the fact that you can trust him to do whatever needs to be done on a baseball field to help a team win. How good do you think or what do you think the ceiling is for him offensively? You know, I think that he's only going to get better with time, with experience, with at-bats, seeing pitches. Um, uh, you know, figuring out what his zone is, where he can do the most damage. And he's made it a point to work on that. And he's been consistent in his work, consistent in his routine. So you talk, you talk about his ceiling. Uh, I think the sky's the limit for him as far as being an offensive catcher. Um, he has power. Uh, he, his swing is simple and leveraged. And he, he, you know, uses his lower half really well to drive the baseball. And most importantly, he consistently hits the ball hard. And 
if you're consistently hitting the ball hard and you have a simple leverage swing that's got strength, you're going to have success. And I, I think that he's going to have a lot of success offensively. How often do you have a guy that you're watching him every day and you're writing the lineup card out and you basically say to yourself, hey, there's nothing else this guy can do down here. I mean, this guy's ready. How often does that happen? You know, it, it, it's tough to say instance-wise because you, you have guys that are hot for a week. You have guys that are hot for two weeks. But it happens when you see a guy consistently perform over a month and a half, two months, three months, an entire season where you ask your question, okay, this, this guy's done everything that the, the organization, that this team, that the Oakland A's have asked him to do. And my opinion is that he's ready to, to get an opportunity in the big leagues. And, uh, you know, that was definitely the case for Shea. It, he's been big league ready for a while now, but, you know, I think he did need to be seasoned up a little bit more as far as getting the at-bats in AAA. And I think it's only going to help him further along in his career. But, yeah, it does happen every once in a while where you're just looking at your lineup and you're looking at the quality of play on any given player who happens to just be very consistent over a couple months and say, okay, this guy's ready. Let's go. Now, the question, obviously, with Big Murph being the catcher and – and Shea is going to be the DH tonight. We just had his college coach on. We know that and at Baylor, he did play a few games in the outfield. So if he is not to play catcher, where do you think you could fit him on the diamond so we can get that bat into the lineup? Well, the, the beauty about Shea is athleticism. You know, he's a, he's a catcher by trade. It's something that he's worked his entire life to be elite at. But he's so athletic, you could you could put him in a corner outfield position. He would need some work, and to do it in the big leagues may be a little bit of a stretch. But he's so athletic that he could get acclimated to left field, right field, first base. Um, you, you hit some ground balls at him and maybe put him in third base in a pinch. But you also have something special defensively behind the dish. And believe me, I'm well aware of, of Murph's abilities back there. I, I've managed him quite a bit coming up through our system, and yeah, he's the best. He's 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 an incredible player. Um, so yeah, to, to figure out a way to get both Murphs catching his bat and, and Shea's bat into the lineup, that's going to be a, a puzzle that that Cots is going to have to kind of figure out and put together. But it's uh, it's a good problem to have. Well, Soderstrom, Susack, we got other guys coming your way. We're going to need to make some rule where we can play more than one catcher a game. Well, you you have athletic and then you have flexibility. We went through a stretch last year in, in Las Vegas where we had four catchers on the roster. And every, <laughs> every one of them played every day for three weeks in different spots. So, you know, if, if there's a way to figure out how to get these guys in the games, we'll do it. We got a buddy who's a veteran broadcaster that has said multiple times, and I'm just – and I don't know the answer to this. I, I want to get your opinion. Who has said that the divide – between the big leagues and AAA is bigger than it's ever been. Do you agree with that? I, I do, based on based on what I've seen the last couple of years. Um, and I, I don't know how how it relates to the pandemic. I don't know how it relates to guys missing a, a, a full year in 2020 if they, they weren't attending an alternate site. Uh, but the, the divide is is a little bit greater than I've seen it before, where you have guys that are doing really well here and they're going up and then they, they experience, you know, struggles. 
um, for whatever reason, on uh, just like everything, everything is individual player dependent. So you can't just put all the guys in a box and say, well, the, the divide is so huge. But for the most part, I would have to agree with that sentiment. Yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, you, you see certain guys and you go, wow, this guy's hitting 400. Wow, this guy's hitting 380. There are bombs everywhere. And then, you know, they come up and that, that, that doesn't happen. Just wanted to get your opinion on that. Waldachuk, another guy in from the Yankee trade, St. Mary's here in the Bay Area. What have we seen from him and how does he look when we talk about being potentially big league ready? Yeah, you know, stuff-wise uh... – He's got great stuff. Um, he's got a good fastball that, that plays a little bit up from the, the velocity, which is good already. Uh, he's got a good breaking ball, a good changeup. It, it's just a matter of time with him, and he just needs to be ref, you know, refined a little bit and uh, to smooth, up, smooth out the edges. And I, I think when he does get his first opportunity in the major leagues, he's, he's going to be a good one because he knows what he's doing, and you can tell what a competitor he is. And you can you can tell that he's got a really bright future ahead of him just based on his, his couple stars that he's had here so far. How is Christian Pache doing? Pache is really working hard and making the adjustments that's going to get him back to the big leagues and, and keep him a productive player in the big leagues. You know, everyone knows about his defense and and how elite that is and, and how much pride he takes in in his defense. And he he's really doing the same thing offensively as far as trying to make the adjustments to use the whole field to, to get a good pitch to hit and not miss it and to, to not expand. And there's, there's been a lot of positive flashes with Christian. And I, I think it's only going to get better the more at-bats he gets. And the fact that he's getting these at-bats and, and a little bit less of a, a pressure cooker, I think is going to help his career because, you know, you remember that, that he's a pretty young kid and he's got tremendous ability, tremendous physicality, and he's going to be a really good player for a really long time. Uh, he's just doing a really nice job here of working towards the adjustments that he knows he needs to make. Take us through that. So you have a player that was up at the big league level. We know has talent. We hope he's a big part of our future. He struggles. He gets sent back down. I'm sure David Force and everybody talked to you about what he needs to work on to try and get him back to the big league level. Just take us through that process, how it works with the Oakland A's. Well, the communication with uh, not only the front office, but the major league coaching staff is very good. Uh, when a player goes, goes down or gets called up, and that's something that is very important as far as the development of the player when they get sent down, whether it's a pitcher and we're getting notes and videos and recommendations of drills from Emo, or if it's a hitter, we're, we'll hear from, you know, Cots and Tommy and, and Crony about the, the things that they're working on to make them successful and what they need to do once they get to AAA to execute those plans. And then when a player gets sent down from AAA, you know, they come to my office, hey, how you doing, Fran? Hey, good. My first question is always, okay, what's next? What are we going to do? How are we going to get you to where you want to go? How are we going to get you back to the big leagues? Uh, what are the things that that you need to focus on that's going to help your career, that's going to help your progression, that's going to help your development? And then holding them accountable to do those things. And the, the players that come with the attitude of, okay, I'm here, let's go, let's work, let's, let's grind, those are the ones that don't stay here long. And those are the ones that when they, they go back up, you hope that, 
the work they put in here in the minor leagues has prepared them to be productive major league players. And I think we've seen that quite a bit here, you know, just, uh, um, over the course of the season, over the course of the time I've been in AAA, it's something that's very important because I don't want these guys here any more than they want to be here. You know, Las Vegas is a great place to play, great stadium, yeah. great town, but they want to be in the big leagues. So I think it's important that we have that communication with the big league front office, the big league staff, and we can get them on the right path to get them back to where they want to be, which is playing in the major leagues. It's such an interesting job, and it's so important, and it's so rewarding. I mean, here you are. You still have to manage. You still want to win games. I mean, where you guys are in second place, you're about to start getting ready for playoffs and everything. But your job, as you know it, and what you want more than anything is to help this player live out his dreams in the big leagues. It's like your job is like, man, I'm trying to help you get to your dreams. That's like such a cool part of your job. Yeah. <laughs> we talked quite a bit about this over the, the years and, and it's the best part of the job. It, it is the most rewarding part of the job. Um, and to, to use a metaphor, it's like a double-edged sword, except one side of the sword is much sharper than the other. And that side is getting the players to the big leagues. And the other side of the sword is winning and creating a winning atmosphere so that when they go up, they're also winning baseball players that can help Oakland win games. And you, you just said it perfectly. It is the most rewarding part of the job. And I, I think that the two go hand in hand. Just one is a little bit more important than the other. And that's the development of the player so he can be a productive major leaguer. There's other guys who are having good seasons for you. Who are some of the guys you think potentially, and we're about to hit September too with some call-ups, who do you think the guys that potentially could be coming up? Well, I, I mean, I, I, we, we lack the blue chip prospects uh, that, that um, really could be in that conversation now that, now that Shea has made the, made the move to the major leagues. But, you know, we, fight, we, we have a lot of guys having great years. You look at uh, Vince Fernandez, you look at Nate Mondu. Billy McKinney has, has done nothing but really, really positive things since he got sent back to AAA. Um, you know, like you said, we have uh, – Waldachuk, who's who's getting close to being ready. Uh, Garrett Acton, you know, a guy with a, a high 90s fastball and a pretty good changeup and slider that, you know, is just trying to work work to tighten up some things in his in his command. And hopefully he'll be ready soon. But it doesn't just stop with the guys that have gone up in the last couple of weeks. I think we have some other guys that can help the major league team here as well. And then, of course, it's also about winning games. And boy, you got a fantastic ballpark. You got the great fan base. And as you said, you're in SAC. You're going to have a day off on Thursday. And then Sacramento comes to town. Uh, a couple weeks left in August and then September. And it's playoff time. I mean, how's your ball club looking right now? Are you starting getting in that? All right, we're starting to see the finish line. And the finish line, well, at the end of the finish line, is playoffs. Well, that's the mentality here, and that's, that's you know, every day that's the, the focus that we have. We've had a lot of uh, roster flux in the, in the last month, two months, pretty much all season, but that's to be expected in a AAA season, and the mentality is whoever is here is who we have, so let's go. Let's go and compete, and let's go and, and play hard every inning, every out until the last out is made, and that's the mentality that, that we're always going to have. You know, if, if we can go on a little run here and make make some some ground up against Reno, I think we're 
going to put ourselves in a good spot to be there at the end. I know it may sound weird, but I love that because it's like as a coaching staff, we're always coaching. We're always preparing to win. Guys are going to come up. Guys are going to go down. But who's ever in these uniforms should know you're getting a hell of an opportunity. And everybody needs to seize the moment. And when do you seize that moment? You seize it today. You seize it tomorrow. Whenever I ask you, whenever I put you in the lineup. I, to me, I know some people would hate that, but I'm like, man, this is the land of opportunity. Let's go get it. That, that's exactly what it is. And that's what we talk about here all the time is opportunity. And the opportunity that each person in that clubhouse has been given on any given day, whether they're in the starting lineup, whether they're coming out of the bullpen, whether they're taking the bump for the, for the start, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You always have to be ready and you always have to be ready to perform at a championship major league level. And that's the goal of uh, this ball club every day. Well, it's always fantastic to have you on the program. And I know every single time we have these guys come up, they say nothing but the best about you. You mean a lot to them. And uh, Shay making his debut, another guy, uh, living his dreams, and hopefully he'll be here for a long, long time. Good luck the rest of the way, and we'll talk to you come playoff time. All right. Thanks for having me. Steve, are you there? Yes, sir, I am. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm trying to tell everybody what kind of baller you were back in the day with the Pepperdine Waves. As uh, uh, <laughs> I'm a relic myself. I played against you in college and trying to tell everybody – all-American, you guys won the national title, you were on ESPN. I mean, you had a great college career. You got to the big leagues. Now you've been a coach for a long time. So I've been trying to build you up, telling everybody what kind of player you were. You were fantastic. And I know as a coach, you've had a lot of success. And I know this has to mean a lot to you. One of your players is debuting tonight, Shay Langoliers, in Major League Baseball. It's a big deal. It, it's a really big deal, and I'll tell you what, um, you know, there's very few, I mean, college coaching is such a great and rewarding occupation just because you, you literally get to change kids' lives. You have an opportunity to be very influential um, with where they are in their life and, and getting them on, like, the right track to in regards to work ethic, in regards to failure and overcoming things and uh, being able to do that, and it's been a lot of fun, and I, I tell people all the time, um, when you get a kid who's called up to the big leagues, uh, there, there's a sense of pride in it just because you know everything that that young man has gone through in his college career and in his high school career and sometimes in his professional career. And you start to realize how hard they worked and the success that they had and some of the ups and downs and the things they, they had to grind through. And then they get to uh, get that phone call and say, hey, you're getting called up to the big leagues. Uh, those are just amazing things. Shay called me last night. Um, I always have a rule that says, after you call your parents, when you get called up, you better call me. <laughs> and so he called and I was like, either, you know, either somebody's pregnant or he got called up. So, uh, and what's funny is he, he said that exact thing. He's like, coach, I owe you a phone call. And I, I just started screaming and he was laughing and, um, but it was such a neat, it was a neat phone call. And I want to, I want to try to get up there tomorrow to go see him. Well, you know, when you have a player, you know, and I think about you as a coach, you got certain guys you love who are just great college players and they help you win games and you know they're getting their education and they're going to go off to be great young men and have uh, be productive people in society. But then you got players who you know, uh, you know, 
from your time being in the big leagues and in minor league baseball, you, you kind of can see, wow, this guy's going to have a shot. When did you know Shea was a guy that's going to have a shot at having a career? It's not always easy, doesn't always work out, but he's going to have a shot at it. I'll tell you what, um, when he was a freshman and I saw him throw down the first couple times, uh, the fact that, I mean, he has tremendous arm strength, uh, but the fact when, when he, I mean, he started as a freshman at Baylor, um, you know, in the big 12 uh, against some, I mean, outstanding competition, he was our starting catcher. And when you saw him really take over the game from behind the plate, um, the accuracy with which uh, what he would throw and uh, down to second base and just the sheer amount of runners he would throw out while the guy was still running, um, not even sliding yet. And it was at that time when guys would, when schools, when schools would stop running against you just because they didn't want to run into outs. Um, that's when you knew you had something pretty special back there. And he was doing that from his freshman year on. And the bat obviously has played in minor league baseball. I mean, it's tough to look at the numbers, especially at AAA where everybody seems to hit. So it's like that the hitters are not as good as their numbers and the pitchers aren't as bad as their numbers, just the way it works with Vegas and the desert air and play, <laughs> playing in elevation and wind and other spots. But what are we getting offensively? Offensively, I'll tell you what, his last year, I mean, the last couple of games, even when we were in the regional, I think he had 11 RBIs, three home runs. Uh, you have a young man who has just a, amazing instincts at the plate and he has ability to recognize pitches. And, um, you know, you're going to see a guy with great power. He, he was actually my best bunner. He could handle the bat probably the best also, but with a guy like like you said, like he has tremendous power and you don't want to have him bunning. But when we would do a lot of our skill stuff, he was one of the best. And when you have guys like that who are selfishly like, hey, I will bun if you need me to because he can. And uh, offensively, you're, you're really going to like what you see because he has great patience. Uh, he, can re he can really hit and he hits balls hard. I've always said about catchers, it's such a unique position because it's the only position where you're looking out at everybody and everybody's looking into you. It just it's a it's a leadership role. It is what it is. It's like a quarterback in football. You're controlling the defense, you're controlling the defensive signs, you're calling the pitches with the pitcher. You need to know every pitcher on the staff. You need to know what makes them tick. Uh, you know, some pitchers, you know, are more gutsier than others. You need to know how guys are under pressure. There's so much that's put on a catcher that he's got to be smart. He's got to be cerebral. He has to be more than just a talented guy. So as a field general, what kind of kid is he? You know what? He reminded me of uh, Pudge Rodriguez. And I know those, those, are, those are big shoes to talk about. But when I was, uh, I played in Puerto Rico with Pudge and he always just told me um, when a guy was stealing, he just kept telling me, don't be late uh, to cover the base. Just don't be late. Um, and I, once he threw down one time and I realized, man, I got to get there early because the ball is getting there at such a rapid pace. And when I had to play against him, when I was with the, uh, when I was with the Tigers and he was with the Rangers and he backpicked me and he looked at me and he kind of wagged his finger kind of like uh, one of the basketball players would do, like, don't, you know, you're not going to do that here. Um, and he was kind of laughing while he did it. 
Um, and I, I knew exactly what he meant, but Shea is that kind of like, he is the guy who he sees a lot of things. He's going to uh, recognize infielders. They want to pick. He's going to recognize things that pitchers are doing and being able to help them. Uh, his, his baseball IQ is off the charts. And I think people are really going to like um, just kind of how he manages things. I mean, I know he went down to a knee to start throwing it. Um, I can tell you right now, I don't care if he's standing on his head, the way he manages the game with his arm is pretty impressive. What was that like being at second base and Pudge Rodriguez is throwing that heater? That ball had to be coming harder than any <laughs> other catcher. It's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's like he was Nolan Ryan behind the plate. Well, the first time he, he threw down, I thought the ball was going to hit the dirt. I thought it was going to skip. And it didn't. And it got me right in the wrist. And he kind of looked at me and I was like, yeah, okay, I got it now. Like this, this ball's going to carry true and it's going to do it for a while. So um, I just got to make sure that I catch the ball a little more out front and not let it get to me. Um, but it, it's very similar to that. Like the ball just doesn't die. Most catchers have a ball that are kind of fading um, as it gets to second base. And just like, just like Shays, like Pudge has just kept going true. And uh, it actually, it almost keeps rising as it's, it's going towards you. That's how, that's how much arm strength he has. Our manager in AAA, Fran Reardon, was on this program a while ago, and we we're talking about the guys. He was talking about Shea, and he goes, "You know, one thing you're not, you know, one thing you're not going to believe, but he's really fast. And forget trusting me, Statcast says he's really fast for a catcher. So we're we're getting a guy with some wheels. Uh, he, believe it or not, I mean, he was running six eight, six seven, sixties while he was here." Um, and I mean, he, he gained so much strength in, in his lower half, um, just during, during his time when I was at, as at Baylor and he, uh, he was actually, I mean, he was one of those guys where you would look at him and you wouldn't see he was fast. The next thing you know, he's stealing several bases and I, he kind of loved it because nobody would think that he would run and he was able to steal quite a few bags just because he does have speed, but he just doesn't look like it. Well, I got to tell you, we're, we're, we're all really excited about him. And, you know, my last question on him, you know, when you start talking about catchers, for some reason we have 8,000 catchers in our system, including Sean Murphy, who's 27, just won a gold glove and hits in the middle of our order. I've been saying – I, I, find a spot for him. DH him like he is tonight. Can he play the outfield? I know he played a couple games for you in the outfield. We just talked about his speed. Where do you think I need to find him at bats? Where do you think I could put him other than catcher? You can put him at first base. You can put him at third. You can put him in the outfield. Um, shoot, you, you can put him anywhere. He, he's an unbelievable athlete. And that's what's great is that uh, you can put good athletes anywhere and they're going to find a way they know how to play the game they know what the position looks like and they're going to be able to do it Shay Langliers is that guy you can put him anywhere and you're going to be just fine you know we have I, I want to get some advice for a guy that we have right now Nick Allen Nick Allen was a third round pick he had signed to go to USC decided to sign with the A's He's a shorter shortstop second baseman. So, you know, his entire life, people have been saying things to him because of his size. I think about your size is very similar. What advice do you have for a guy that is trying to make it in the big leagues and he plays up the middle and people have always tried to evaluate him on his size? <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing is, like, you're going to – 
I always tell people when you're a little smaller, guys are going to constantly tell you what you can't do. Um, and then when you're taller, guys are always going to talk about what you can do. And so the biggest thing is like un understanding who you are as a player and then being able to maximize each and every one of those skills. Um, if, if you're a defensive guy, if you're a speed guy, if you're a hit for average guy, just be really, really good at that. You know, if they're saying, hey, we want you to hit for more power, but just understand, like, you can try that, but your other skill set might start to falter. Uh, and the biggest thing is just be as, as uh, versatile and be the biggest utility guy you can possibly be because the more options you have, the more opportunities you're going to have. Well, continued success there at Texas. We appreciate the time, and uh, uh, maybe we'll be talking more to you about Shangling Aliers and hopefully a very long, productive career with the Oakland Athletics. Thank you so much for your time. I'll tell you what, you are going to love him as a player, but when you have a chance to talk to him, it's going to even be better because he's such a great young man. Yeah, you be well. Take care. All right, thank you. Pembo just joined, so. Where is he? Well, there's big LeBron news. I'm sure you want to start with that. Well, I just I just want to say that are are you at home? I'm at home. So when there is LeBron news as big as signing a two year extension, ESPN allows you guys to go home and have a life. <laughs> I can you know assure LeBron you. LeBron James signed a two year extension. You should oh, leave your wife. You should leave your pregnant wife. You should be back in Manhattan and you should be covering what's happening with LeBron James. This I can promise you, my friend. When at 8 Eastern on the East Coast, you turn on ESPN tomorrow, it'll be awfully early for you guys. You will hear Mike Greenberg say, it's time to get up for the LeBron extension. Yada, yada, yada. I can assure you, those will be the first words you hear on the show. And then from 8 to 8.10-ish, I think we'll probably talk it. That, my friends, is a good guess. So I I, I was pretty much going to bet your A block will be LeBron and nothing but LeBron. That's my best guess, too. I've not hopped in the rundown yet tonight. But look, I mean, this is a slow time of year, uh, a year for shows like mine. We're just making up storylines when it comes to training camp, right? So LeBron signing an extension is like a bombshell by our standards. All right, we're going to go LeBron 1, Dallas Cowboy training camp 2. I mean, look, I mean, how many touches is Zeke Elliott going to split with Tony Pollard? There's been a lot of regression there. Over the last three seasons, Zeke has as many fumbles as he has 20-yard rush attempts. So, like, I'm, I'm happy to go there if you are, my friend. Happy to go there. What's Nick Saban doing? <laughs> Nick Saban will probably be, like, towards the bottom of the hour. Nick Saban, I'll tell you what, though. Nick Saban does not have as good a tan as you do right now. You look absolutely splendid. Well, let's just say I've been out on the golf course the past few days. I mean, you, you look like some bro that, like, started a, like, a sunglasses company with all your dropout college friends. And based on what, the, you know, the facial hair that I'm seeing Cody growing, he, he looks like one of those friends. So you guys have a nice little, nice little deal working, it looks like to me. Well, you got to remember, I was, on, was at the beach for a week in San Diego, and I said, you know what? I was pasty white before I went to San Diego. I got the tan back, and I'm keeping this baby rolling. I, I uh, very much appreciate it. Cody, I'd love to see your camera, if, if, you, if you don't mind, because when I first uh, logged in here, it looked like you were wearing, like, an A's. Yeah, yeah, so you are, like, uh, you look like the, the pitching coach. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm in like the – You're going out there. I'm in, our, I'm in our A's office. That's why I look so nice. No, you look – like, are you doing, like, personnel mapping at the moment? <laughs> and just, like, mas masquerading as a, as, a, as a radio sidekick? Because, like, you you definitely pass 
as, as a money ball extra. You pass as someone that could be in the front office right now. Like well, you, you're you, probably doing high level decision making. You know what he looks like? <laughs> he looks like the third trainer that no one knows. Like he like every once in a while comes out onto the field. No one knows. You always know who the head trainer is, but you don't know who the third guy is. And he's got that that kind of top that Cody has on. He he does. He looks like the third guy in charge as a trainer. And that guy, unfortunately, has to be like the hose holder because that guy, you know, called out sick. So he's got he's got two jobs today to make to make sure that that everything is functioning at a high level. So it looks like you're running you're running stuff for the scouting department. You're doing the grounds crew stuff. You are the third string trainer. Like this is a this is a quite the operation you guys have running out there. I am wildly hey, impressed. We we Good are tonight. big league. By the way, we have to have fun. As my notes say, fifty days left in the schedule. A's got 45. We're out. So we have taken a National League team and an American League team to root for. And we will talk about here on A's Cast Live. In the American League, to honor my great friend Ray Fossey, I am, and they play the way I like, pitching, defense, contact, stealing bases. I am going with the Guardians in the American League. In the National League, because of you your twins, and my love of the great city of Philadelphia. My new National League team is the Fightins. I'm going Phillies. Let's go Fightin' Phils. You're my National League team. Let's get this as the Mets. Uh, DeGrom and Scherzer against the Braves the next two nights getting pretty interesting. Oh, I'll tell you what. That, that sound that you hear in the distance, that sound that you hear in the distance is every executive that works for Fox <laughs> calling – Calling their boss and saying they just pitched a Guardians Phillies World Series. We have to be out of this business. That would <laughs> be wreckage. Like the pitching and defense selling point might be cool for you, um, but I'll tell you what that that team's a uh, the Guardians uh, is an they're an excellent story this year. Like, definitely uh, under the radar. The White Sox are coming strong, but I've been really impressed with with Cleveland's consistency throughout the season. They have boppers in that lineup. Jimenez has been unbelievable. Jose Ramirez is consistently among the best players in the sport. Shane Bieber's not the pitcher he was in 2020, but they always find a way to get out. My money would actually be on Cleveland to win their division, but right now the the India, excuse me, the Guardians, um, the Twins, and the White Sox are all separated by one game. That's actually the best race in baseball with so many of these divisions uh, having been sealed so long ago. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. There are so many people. Like I said, the next two nights you got Braves, Mets, Scherzer, Degrom. I mean, if if the Brett's, if the Braves pull out two and there's only a game and a half, I mean, you know, living Jersey or New York, there's always that fear of something's going to happen in Mets land. Some decision, some injury, some wild, crazy thing will bring down the Mets. If they lose the next two games, there's going to be panic at the disco. <laughs> we'll start to see. Their owner, Steve Cohen, sending out irrational tweets after drinking expensive wine after games. I'll tell you what, though. <laughs> I, I watched, I've watched every pitch Jacob DeGrom has thrown this year. It's been three starts. I'm not sure that I've ever seen a better pitcher in my life. Now, obviously, we've seen pitchers go much deeper into games. Pedro in 99 and 2000, I think, was practically beyond reproach. We saw Randy Johnson dominate in 2001 in a way that we've rarely seen again, especially in the postseason. There are any number of great half seasons and even full seasons. Kershaw has been unbelievable. Verlander has been unbelievable. But it, it feels like an upset if Jacob deGrom doesn't strike you out. Jacob deGrom has been unbelievable, and it dates back to the start of last year. Since the start of last season, he's thrown 108 innings. 
during that time, the league is hitting 126 against him. He's turned your lineup into nine pitchers. And when I watched him face the Phillies, it was inevitable. Like, the best pitchers in baseball are dominant. Jacob DeGrom is inevitable. Yeah, but the problem is I'm going to need four, five, six relievers after him. And that, and that, and that becomes our problem in baseball because relievers are guys year to year. I mean, Blake Trinan had one of the greatest years ever as a reliever for the A's. And the next year was a completely different guy. You don't that, you know, if you have a Mariano Rivera or you have a Trevor Hoffman or a Bruce Suter or one of these guys that lasts forever and, and is lights out as a closer. Great. But relievers, especially now when I'm talking about, going deep into your bullpen every single night. Yes. Like Dylan Cease last night, I, I got roped into the Verlander Cease. That Cease is out after five. You now need four, five, six guys to finish the game out. I'm so impressed with numbers, but if you're giving it to me for six or five innings, eh. I hear you, kid. I hear you. I, uh, and it's hard to dispute. The, the Mets have, have babied him for years now. Maybe that's been the right approach. Maybe it's not. I'll tell you what, though. How many managers have been able to dial up DeGrom, Scherzer, and then Edwin Diaz on the back end? I mean, that's that's the kind of – and Bassett's been great. Chris Bassett's been great for the Mets. Yeah. I trust Buck Showalter a lot more than I've trust uh, managers of theirs in yesteryears. I mean, like, at minimum, he's not sending lewd pictures of himself. He generally has an idea what's going on. So, obviously, that's the baseline for the Mets manager. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Buck, Buck, has, Buck has this team. Like, he's got this team wrapped around his finger. I got, it, this, it feels different. It feels different here in New York. In all seriousness, uh, <laughs> putting, putting Vicky Callaway's cell phone to the side for just a moment. Hey, hey, hey remember, uh, was it last year or the year before someone came up with all the bracket for all the Met problems throughout the years, that bracket. Yeah. David pleasuring himself in the, in the bullpen. I mean, it had everything in there. I mean, the Mets fans were yearning for the days of Noah Syndergaard having hand, foot, and mouth disease. Right. But in all candor, <laughs> in all candor, like that's a neglect of that situation with Mickey Callaway, of course. What I'm saying is the baseline for Mets manager is literally garbage. And so Buck Showalter has this team wrapped around its finger and has generated really a, 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 an awesome culture there. Like it does feel a little bit different. The owner doesn't seem to be at his wits end on every, on every given night, but obviously they've, they've been operating from a position of strength all season long. Most people that I talk to over here view them as the favorite. Of course, there is some East coast bias naturally, but the Mets feel like a team built for October from where I sit. I'm just not quite sure they can bop enough to win it all. Please tell me, please make my day. Tell me about the panic about the New York Yankees in New York City. I want <laughs> doom and gloom. I want the panic bus, the panic button. Send the missiles. Send the missiles. I want panic stories. So th there's a uh, producer on uh, Mike Greenberg's radio show that I work with named Nuno Teixeira. We asked him yesterday after I delivered some numbers about whether or not, you know, the, he's worried about the Yankees. <laughs> His first line was, oh, yeah. The season is over. That's how, <laughs> that's how these people are operating. Like, they, they have this massive lead in their division, right? They, they have a, a player on pace at, like, 65 home runs. They've had the best pitching staff in the American League the whole season long. They're just, you know, hitting, a, you know, obviously a bit of a downturn since the All-Star break. But these people are genuinely freaking out. But, look, in all candor, like, this is a team that way overachieved early in the season. Like, if you had told me the Yankees would be where they are now at this point, I would have told you I, I'm not seeing it. Like, this is a team I didn't think would even make the playoffs. 
And that's because, you know, Brian Cashman's building plan here was a little bit peculiar. Now it's been proven to work over the course of a full season here. They've, they've picked the ball much better than, than you would have expected. They pitched great. Obviously, Judge is picking up his end of the bargain. But since the All-Star break, if you look at the lineup, like their numbers are effectively, they're the Diamondbacks, the Pirates, and the Tigers, plus Aaron Judge. So they're not hitting in 25 games since the All-Star break. They scored 40 runs without the benefit of the home run. They, they can't scratch across runs. They can't manufacture runs, which is something that they're just seemingly willing to deal with. I'm just not sure, so sure that in a playoff series, they, they're positioned well if you don't get a homer or two of that series from Aaron Judge or, or John Carlos Stanton or whomever. Not to mention the fact that <laughs> in the first half of the season, the Yankees were 57-5 and five in games in which they had a lead in the seventh inning or later. They were 57-5 and five in those games. Since the All-Star break, they're 7-5. and five in those games. For as bad as the lineup has been, the back end of their bullpen, for my money, is their single biggest problem. Doom and gloom. Five alarm fire. Oh, you just made my day. Uh, let's go to <laughs> another one that the fire the fire hasn't started yet, but it's going to be here come postseason time. And that's your favorites, the L.A. Dodgers. They couldn't get it done last year with Scherzer and Walker Bueller. Now no Scherzer, big lead but no Walker Bueller for the postseason. They're going to cruise into the postseason because they're they're just a steamroller over people. But once we get in those series and you don't have your best starter, how do you feel about the Dodgers? Um, I feel much worse about the Dodgers than I should when you look at the numbers. Obviously, their record is unbelievable. They're going to win 115 games in their sleep. They're outscoring their opponent by more than two runs per game. All right, The last team to do that over a full season – was the 1939 Yankees. That's how good the Dodgers are. They've been unbelievable. The top third of their order is historically good. They've gotten contributions, at least lately, from all over the diamond, whereas during the you know, middle of the season, the middle third of their order was not productive. This team is absolutely stacked. But I don't know why, for the life of me, their general manager did not do a more aggressive play at the deadline in uh, buffering his bullpen. Because that group right now ain't good enough. I'm not confident that the Dodgers are going to win games in which they enter the ninth inning with a one-run lead. I'm not. That's because they rank 24th in ERA right now in the ninth inning. And Craig Kimbrell can't find his release point if his life depended on it. He was spraying the ball yesterday, too. He absolutely must be removed from that role, and you have to go by committee. And let's be honest. If we're just going to be fair and honest about all of this, the Dodgers should have much more than one World Series title since 2017. Dave Roberts at least in my opinion, has cost them at least one with how he's mismanaged that bullpen over the last five years. And there's no obvious reason for me to believe that he has the right guys back there now. Not to mention, he doesn't have his best pitcher in Walker Bueller. Not to mention, he's going to be lucky if Clayton Kershaw can get him 15 outs in any given game without his back yeah. being thrown out, right? Like, I don't know how they're going to get 27 outs enough times to win the World Series. They, I think they can definitely win plenty of games 8-6. to six, But they, the Dodgers are going to have to be up 6-1 to one entering the ninth inning for me to feel like, oh, yeah. They're definitely going to win that game. I'll tell you what, you're going to learn about the epidural shot pretty soon. What, what, when, when's the due date? Um, uh, September 8th. So yeah, you're, you're, you're going to learn. Like, when they do that, you see how big that needle is, and you, you just go, oh, my God. And that's – you know what? Whenever I heard pitcher, golfer, anybody that has back problems, football player, oh, they're getting an epidural shot. It was never a big deal for me right because i didn't know wife was pregnant epidural shot and i saw the needle and i went oh now i get it 
that 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 that's not that's not like hey bend over right in your beep and the shot's over bye i mean no 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 it's a whole different ball game yeah so clayton kershaw i mean who knows by the way it, it, and and i know with lebron james dallas cowboys college football everything going on in your world a's <laughs> rangers will not make it in any of the blocks on get up but you talk about a crazy dumpster dumpster fire series. We just let go Jed Lowry. We end up in Texas against the Rangers in Arlington. We now let Piscotty go, and now today Elvis Andrus go. On the other side in their dugout, they fired their manager, and now John Daniels, the president of baseball ops. This is like the dumpster fire series of dumpster fires. <laughs> The um, yeah, the, the all the machinations on your club are curious, but the the Ranger stuff has really caught me off guard. I mean, to fire your manager and your general manager in the same week is uh. really really bizarre. And to see Chris Young up there with with Daniels, <laughs> only to, to snipe his job two days later, is so friggin' weird. Now, obviously, Chris Young is very highly regarded in the industry. It's funny, John Daniels, it felt, feels like not so long ago, was like this wonder kid, right? And all of a sudden, he's like a senior statesman across baseball when you look at the way that teams hire general managers. I actually think that's a pretty attractive job. Ownership has, has obviously demonstrated a willingness to spend. They got the new ballpark. They got a, a couple studs in the middle of their diamond, a really, really good farm system. It's just so wild to me that it's all happening now and happening this way. And I'm always very curious to know, like, what kind of hand John Daniels had in any of the recent things that have happened? because. If this is a lame duck general manager, then then why did he have a say in signing Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon that are going to outlast him by a decade? Like the whole thing is very yeah. bizarre, but that is a, a division where helium is easier to come by than others. So it wouldn't stun me if if that's that becomes those become pretty attractive openings um, potentially, and, and they could keep rising. But obviously, there's a lot of dysfunction right there, and it's sort of hard to cut through it all. You know, I got to tell you, you know, if I ever take anything and I, I test positive for it, I know I'm going to just lie my way out. Whether I, you know, I went to GNC and it was in this bottle of GNC and I don't know what happened or I got ringworm. I didn't even really know what ringworm was until I now had to read about it. I mean, it's amazing the excuses. I don't know how an anabolic steroid got in my system. I must have like fell onto a needle somewhere and it just like injected me. I mean, we've heard the m lamest excuses over the years and yeah, we, the A's, we got to raise our hand. It's been here too. And it's been here recently with Ramon Laureano and Frankie Montas, but Fernando Tatis, I mean, this is like, if you're man enough to sign a 14 year, $340 million contract, you're man enough to own up to testing positive. It's, San Diego, it just goes to show when you ink up guys long-term, man, you need to really, really, really be right because this contract, speaking of dumpster fires, boy, does this look bad, and there's a lot of years left on this deal. There's so many items to unpack here. Like, there's so many different ways we can take this conversation. I would, I would start by saying, though, never in my life have I ever seen a player's teammates, a player's manager, a player's general manager, say the things on the record that the Padres said about Fernando Tatis. I found it unbelievable. Effectively, everyone's saying in unison, grow up. You never see it. You never see it. But you saw it here and you saw it all the way around. You heard Joe, Joe Musgrove say, in effect, when they were told that there was Fernando Tatis news, they were relieved to, to learn that he had not died. 
That's how fast this guy lives. And that's how worried they were and have been about him. He was in multiple motorcycle accidents last offseason, and he still hasn't played since that. So, I mean, if he was already skating on thin ice, I mean, what is he, what is he doing now? I mean, he's, I guess he's treading frozen water. But, I mean, look, there is, there, there, uh, uh, there's a few things of which there are no question. He's obviously a generational-type talent. His 162-game average is 48 homers, 31 steals, with a batting line equivalent to the career of Stan Musial, all right, as a young shortstop. He is unbelievably talented. He is also, however, now going to be um, colored by this decision for the rest of his career. And look, dude, don't insult my intelligence. I'm sure you saw what, 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 you know, what wound up happening here with all these you know, drugs and side effects and whatnot. Like, he and his representation Googled the wrong drug. Like, yes. the, thing he, <laughs> the thing he said he took is called Lobetasol, which is what you would actually use for ringworm. His dad, a day later, went on the radio in the DR and said that he was treating hair fungus. Like, guys, get your story together. It's outrageous. <laughs> outrageous don't insult my intelligence did you hear what pedro had to say like pedro was like pedro on tbs at first was like he can't do that but then pedro tried to go into the well you know it's different in the dominican republic you know so many of these kids the language not educated that i mean he started giving him a pass and jimmy rollins was like bro come on like even even big poppy Big Poppy basically said, well, we got to think about star players and making them look bad. It's like, oh, my God. Like, what are these guys talking about? Here's the thing. Like, they gave him that contract that you just described, that massive contract that you just described after 143 big league games. Do any of us honestly know what kind of player he actually is? Like, if you you start your career that historically good, and at one point you were a prospect that was worthy of being traded for James Shields, like, are you really this good? Like, is it, it's a fair and honest question, Ooh. is it not? Yes. Well, I mean, we've, we've seen it with our own two Look out. No, Nate. Also Skinny seen, kid hitting all those uh-huh. home runs. Skinny kid hitting all those home runs. I mean, Jose Canseco, the great Oakland athletic and former MVP, first 40-40 guy. Jose Canseco told us, and I've had interviews with Jose, if it's too good to be true, and isn't kind of Fernando Tatis now that we know about this kind of like when a rod, no one wanted to really talk about how a rod really started doing this stuff when he was in Seattle, the wonder kid with 200 hits, you really have to start like wondering, like, is this guy really the greatest thing we've ever seen? Or maybe there's something to it. And I'm also not convinced that he's the best candidate to be baseball's number one villain, which he will be and should be. Now, if, if he's playing in a stadium that I'm going to be in next year, I'm going to boo the living daylights out of him because not only did he cheat, but then he had the gall to tell me that he treated ringworm with that drug. Like you have to be bleeping me after you already, uh, you know, recently after signing that contract that you did lived like an absolute idiot all off season. Like he admitted to being in multiple wrecks on his bike. It just doesn't make any sense in the world to me. Like why people are willing to defend him and give him a pass. Like it's one thing to like be young, you know, and make mistakes. What he is doing is not being young and making mistakes. Like we shouldn't be excusing adults for doing childish things. And if you're on that side of the fence, then I just don't have any time for you. You have trivia? I have trivia. Oh, let's My question it. for you is this on my way out. So right now, Aaron Judge leads the major leagues in home runs. And obviously the Yankees, as you well know, aspire to win the World Series. And so my question for you is this. Who is the last player to lead the major leagues in home runs? And win the World Series in the same season. Steve Balboni. 
Steve Balboni is incorrect. I don't think he ever did it either. The Royals? Steve Balboni led uh, – he owns the Royals' single-season home run record. He never, however, led his league in home runs. The highest he ever finished was third, although that was 1985. I was close. I knew he won the World Series, and he was up there. Because this it's a tricky answer. It happened more recently than Steve Balboni in 1985. What year? 2008. Think of who's asking you this question. That's the Yankees and A-Rod? That was 09. Oh, that was 09. Oh, it's the Phillies. Uh, Ryan Howard? Ryan Howard is the, the last player to Ryan, do that. I'm going to tell you this, and this is a promise from me to you. If the Phillies win the World Series, I will buy me and you, and I'll hang it right somewhere here in my A's Cast Live studio. I want the Mike Schmidt light blue road jersey. The classic 1980 Philadelphia Phillies light blue Mike Schmidt. He was number 20, right? Mm-hmm. I will buy one for me and one for you. And oh, that's going to go in the shrine, baby. It. Oh, that sounds absolutely luscious. By the way, parenthetically, ha- having mentioned Mike Schmidt, he is the next most recent player to have done that in 1980. The last two wow. players to lead the majors in, in, a, uh, in homers in a World Series winning season are Howard in 08, Schmidt in 80, and those are the only two years the Phillies have ever won the series. Kind of a bizarre note, huh? Well, unbelievable. By the way, so it, it's getting uh, – it's almost go time for you. We got three weeks. We got three more weeks of my everlasting freedom, my sleep, your uh, golf my, game. my my quiet, my golf game, my suntan, my designer uh, haircuts. Is your wife done and like ready to go? She's never been more eager for anything in her life. Yeah. To, <laughs> yeah. to drink a to drink a hazy IPA. <laughs> she yeah. she wants like she's considering bringing stuff into the hospital, like sneaking stuff into the hospital that she could take a swig of. It's been you know so long. Yeah, it, it's 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 like twins. The pressure on them, it's just so uncomfortable. They can't sleep. It's absolutely miserable. So the whole, like, I love being pregnant. Oh, that's gone. It's like, I'm ready to go. And every day you get closer, it's going to be. And then you're going to have twins and your life has changed. Just to give you an idea, today my twins started their junior year of high school. Oh, my gosh, dude. How much money is college going to cost by the time oh, my girls are 18 years old? How much do you think it costs two years? <laughs> That's why I got to keep having you on. I need, I need ratings. I need, I, I mean, I got to have great guests like you. I got to get these kids through college. I mean, as we established about half an hour ago, Cody's working three jobs for you right now, just to try and just to try and get you the, the books and the meal card. So it's uh, everyone's chipping in. <laughs> and, and, and they're like, well, we want to go to UCLA or we want to go to Santa Barbara, all places that's really cheap to live, Santa Barbara and Los Angeles. By the way, I, I, I was uh, listening to you guys talking to Roxy real quick, and then I'll let you go. Um, this ridiculousness with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, and like now the Big Ten just has like teams all over the world. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, like let's imagine like a Rutgers-UCLA volleyball game, right? <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is a shorter flight to travel from New York to Iceland than it is to go from New York to LA. Like it's that far. That's what they're doing here. Like that's the field hockey team is traveling from New York city to Reykjavik to play a friendly. 
That's what I, they're doing I, these days. I can't wait to win Oregon and Washington going the Big Ten, and you can have that great battle of women's softball, Maryland Terps against the Washington Huskies. That <laughs> now that's a conference rivalry I cannot wait for. Bro, I don't understand why they don't just decide like we'll do football for everything, and then for everything else, we'll just keep doing what we were doing. This like I understand yeah. why everyone's changing conferences, but like what's to stop you from? doing all of your Olympic sports the same way and then using and then flying your football team all over the place. Like they're playing for the Patriots. Like to me, that's the sort of clear and obvious solution to all this. Nothing says conference play in volleyball, like the university of Minnesota against USC. <laughs> Welcome. You're looking live from Piscataway. We have the California <laughs> golden bears taking on the Scarlet Knights. Hey, hasn't yeah, it already right. been like when Nebraska's playing Wisconsin, it just doesn't look right? Now you're going to throw no. L.A. schools in there? Oh, my God. Seeing, like, USC play, like, a snow game in Michigan in December is going to be <laughs> – it's going to be so unattractive. It's going to be like seeing uh, Manny Machado field a ground ball in right center field. It's going to be uh, so visually jarring. By the way, you are the best. And you know what? Just because I love you so much, I may set my alarm to get up to watch the star to get up tomorrow and just 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 get my LeBron James on. I just never just, just tell me everything about the extension, two years, all the money. Just tell me if we're gonna limit his time. Uh are we gonna how many minutes are we gonna play him? What how many minutes should he play? I'm just I'm all in tomorrow morning. Listen, you're missing the obvious question, Chris. Can I ask? Can I ask you the yeah. obvious question? Yeah. How how is this going to affect his legacy? Oh, my God. I mean, is, is is he the greatest Laker of all time? <laughs> uh, and not, By the way, 930 or so, practically every single day, sneaky hembo time on Get Up. If you like sports trivia, that's what I do mine every single day. I'm in a heated battle with Dan Graziano, mostly football questions. But who knows? Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow I'll sneak LeBron James question in for the first time in Get Up history. I mean, you, for the 100. You are the best. And let us know when it happens because we have presents coming your way. You're a good man. Take care, buddy. The great Paul Hembikides. I think there's a new way I'm going to introduce him every single time he comes on. I'm, of course, NBC Sports California, of course, broadcaster for the A's. I'm just going to say this about him. A former Major League Baseball starting pitcher who used to complete games. That's, <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the special day anymore. I'm not going to talk, I'm going to say an actual Major League Baseball pitcher who would take the ball in the first inning and they would hand him the ball when the game was over. That happened a few times. Yes. You don't see that a lot these days. Is that what you're getting at, Townie? I'm saying this man used to do it, and that now is is the most impressive thing about your career. Well, you know what? And, and maybe it was just because there was a lack of options. I don't know if that's necessarily true. And by uh, the way, and it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> but but uh, very fortunate to be, one, I think just to be given the opportunity to learn how to do that. That's something that I think, you know, it's twofold. One, you have to earn it. You have to show the folks who are making the decisions that you deserve to see guys the third time through, maybe even the fourth time through. If that means going through the first two, three guys, that four, that's pretty scary, pretty daunting. But... I think it's a combination of being able to earn the trust and one being given the opportunity or, or, you know, forcing the opportunity, which I think the staff at the end of the day, the front office at the end of the day would love to tell you that they've got guys who are forcing that issue. So that's um, that, that's something that you consider when you also consider the way that the game has evolved. That's a conversation we have a lot, but I, I just don't know how often that's going to be in the cards 
if it's not something that is um, is is being presented on a regular basis. Key thing you said was you learned. Yes. You learned how to do it. Sure. You can't learn how to do it if you never do it. Yeah, and, and that's where I think we're seeing guys, um, and, and, you know, that's what was so unfortunate about what we eventually came to learn about the injury with Paul Blackburn is this is a guy who, through a lot of those successful outings as well, is battling some things, literally battling the ability to feel the baseball and to pitch the way he did encountering those things and still getting deep into games. We're watching Cole Irvin get deeper into games than I think we've seen a lot of guys. So it's you're watching guys learn those things, Townie, and you're watching them earn the opportunity to learn. you got to earn it to learn it, and that's what I think – that's what I think Cole Irvin is, is really doing. Yeah, we, we were going over this on Ace Cast Live, how Rancho Cucamonga, uh, A ball for the Dodgers, their starting pitchers aren't even averaging three innings this year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting when you think about player development, and there's a lot of different avenues you can take when you're talking about preparing arms. And I, I think, really, it's an organizational mindset. And that's where the difference is going to come into play is when and where do you think you're going to be able to start to stretch these guys out if they're going to fill the need that you think they're going to be able to fill at the big league level. I don't think the Dodgers are running starters out there to just get three or four in the big leagues, right? We're not seeing that. So there could be something to just trying to figure out a way to maximize guys' health, introduce them to pitching, Every fifth day, maybe they lower the workload because it takes a couple years just to get your arm into put, uh, professional pitching shape. And and that's where I, I think a lot of organizations start to vary and start to take different routes when it comes to cultivating talent and, and growing talent. And then there's just, there's just different opinions, different theories. All right, so whether it's an A's pitcher or anybody else who's going to get called up, whether rest of August, September, we'll have call-ups. What's the advice you give guys who are getting this shot for the first time? To remember why you have earned this opportunity. The only difference is another deck, and you might know a few names on the back of the jerseys on the other side. And that's just trying it's to... It's a pretty s- big deck. It's, 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 it's just trying to simplify. <laughs> it's just trying to simplify everything that goes into the mindset of a guy just getting to the big leagues because there's so much noise, there's so much going on, and you just try to keep it stupid simple for yourself. That is my advice. But the confidence factor for me has to be there, and it's easy to say from afar, and it's easy to say having you know kind of gone through it, been there, done that, but that's why I'm, I'm saying and I have identified the confidence is because I know what it means to go out there and get whacked and start to waver and think, I don't know if my fastball is good there. I don't know if my changeup is good there. I don't know if the slide, like you can't, you're not going to get out to the big league level doing that. So you, you just got to flush that mindset. You're here for a reason. And you got to get outs and you got to believe that you're the guy to do it. Location, location, location. And mm. I think like Zach Logue, that's been his problem. Location. Like when he just got beat in Texas, it was location. Mm-hmm. You know, because you got a guy like Cole Irvin going tonight, you got a guy like yourself, you didn't have to throw 98 to get people out, but it was location. Right, and I, I look at a guy like Zach Logan, I see a lot of myself there because I'm not going to overpower you. I wasn't going to over, I was going to rely on putting the ball where I needed to. I was going to rely on the guys behind me making great defensive plays night in and night out. And 
you start to learn as a guy who can pitch to contact, as a guy who probably needs to pitch to contact, that creating pace, which I think Logue does a good job of when he's going well, that that's going to help the defense behind you. And, and so th- there's just those little lessons that you learn, those little things that you really start to value. Once you start to get those opportunities, you just you don't want to run out of those opportunities. And that's where the emphasis on when you go down for him, the left go down, but just get back to putting the ball where you want because we've seen him have success up here. And it's tough to slow down. I, I think like even now, like in my golf game, if you bogey the first few holes, it's panic time, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. You know, it, same thing out there. You go out there as a young pitcher, you're trying to impress everybody, and you give up a couple runs early. It's okay. Well, Breathe. What you don't want him to do is what you clearly do with your partners, with your with guys. Panic. You, you, pr- Panic. I was thinking project. You were projecting <laughs> how you think about struggling off the box the first few. Rolling clubs. <laughs> I'm just pissed. Right? You can't do that. No. Slow down. Yeah. you got to pump the brakes. And that's why, you know, I, I just try to keep the – I just try to use the term keep it stupid simple because – we do. We can convolute our brains with a lot of different thoughts, a lot of different scouting reports, numbers, tendencies. All that stuff just comes flooding in. And, uh, again, Townie, it's so easy to just say go out and compete. But if you've put the work in, if you've taken a look at the scouting reports, if you've planned your work, all that's left to do is go out and work your plan. Fans love you, and you're going to be out in the stands tonight. You're going to be right out here from the treehouse in right field. Yeah. Going to be doing the broadcast. Uh, always a lot of fun, you, the fans, and now we're throwing live television in there. Live television. Yes. The treehouse yeah. on a Friday night. Happy the, hour. Happy hour. Uh-huh. The last dive bar is, po- I mean, Townie. <laughs> but I don't know if I'll see you here tomorrow. <laughs> We're going to find out. This could be your broadcasting career? We're going to find out. (laughs) What possibly could go? That's what I said. We're doing a live show. People are drinking behind us. What possibly could go wrong? Live TV, open bar. Yeah. Come on. Should be fun. Queens coming up after. Uh Uh-huh. This is what dreams are made of. Yeah, people are taking pictures (laughs) as we're doing this. Yeah, it didn't matter. We're live. It doesn't matter. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. (laughs) See how it works out? That's it. That's you tonight. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I mean, it's one thing we're doing this on YouTube and uh, yeah. Acecast. Well, but. What, what's really cool is, you know, being being back down behind home plate for those for those years when it was me, the great Ray Fossey, and, and Kipe, I had a different angle and a different look at the game, and you could take it in from a different viewpoint. This is going to be a lot of fun tonight because I'm with a lot of great fans who love this team, love this Coliseum, and they love baseball. And you factor in all the other things that you just kind of threw out there, tonight's going to be a whole lot of fun. I do miss you down there because you were hearing everything, you were seeing everything, you were relaying to us. It's just different, and especially like in Anaheim when you're right in the, almost like in the dugout, like that that that's that was special. Yeah. I mean, what you do now is great, but I do miss that because you were giving us something that we normally don't get. Yeah, it was, and it was a lot of fun. To, to look at the game from that angle and and really what's really cool is you know the, the players they just kind of welcome you in as this crustacean that has now kind of grown on the side of the dugout they they know you're there they see you there I mean I can remember 
Lucroy coming around after scoring like on a double from first, you know, panting, breathing hard, and I was pumped up, and he, you know, gave me a high five in the middle of the broadcast. I remember watching, you know, the ridiculous throw from Laureano. Yeah. You know, I would, Justin Upton belts a ball to left center, and Eric Young Jr. on his way around second, headed to third, and Laureano just flat-footed almost. If they took a step. Just one of the greatest defensive plays I've ever seen. Ever. Ever. And I was standing right there watching it come right. It was unbelievable. So, yeah, I, I do miss it too, but um, I, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. Well, we are out of time. I got to go do pregame. You got to go do the show. I do. Thank you for stopping by. Always. Next time, hopefully, we'll have a little bit longer. Yeah. Got nothing to do. And uh, are we getting anything special tonight? Just a, I, It's just a tease. Well, it's, are we getting anything special tonight out here with you? Some type of theme. Maybe. Well, they are the fireworks tonight. It is a queen theme show, right? That is it's correct. queen theme show. So, I mean, Freddie. I'm a big fan of the unis that Freddie used to trot out there. Freddie Mercury. And we're old enough to really remember Freddie Mercury mm-hmm. and how big Queen was. Massive. They used to do, I mean, they did stadiums around the world. They did concerts where there'd be two, 300,000 people. Yeah, and if you don't know, you need to ask, yo, mama. MTV, but you kids won't even know what that means. <laughs> have a good broadcast tonight. Hey, how about this guy, the new outfielder, Cal? Great to have you on yeah, the program. Glad to be here. I mean, this for you, I just think about the dream of you get traded, you come over to a team that you grew up watching, not that far from here, making your debut, everybody's spelling out your name. I mean, what has this ride been like for you? It's been awesome. Uh, you know, like you said, just coming back home and being able to play in front of my uh, my family, has been. it's been awesome, and uh, I'm looking forward to it uh, in the future. You know, we haven't been able to talk to you before. What was it like when the trade went down? You're getting traded for Christian Bethancourt. So you're getting traded. Oh, okay, that probably stinks. But you're going to the A's. What was that like? Um, well, at first I didn't know it was the A's. I, j- I was just told I was traded. And then, uh, you know, after a few moments he had told me it was the A's. And, uh, you know, it's just an opportunity that, uh, you know, I got to play in the big leagues. And uh, here I am. You know, I didn't, I didn't really have much thought to it. It was, uh, it was just getting back here and uh, getting an opportunity and playing every day. Did you view coming back here as we talk about a lot – the land of opportunity, you know you get here, you're going to have a chance. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, that's what Kate and I had talked about when uh, I had gotten called up. And, uh, you know, they were saying take take advantage of your opportunities. You're going to get plenty of them. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to do that. By the way, he said it earlier today. I had the interview with him. We do it every Friday, the Mark Kate show. And he has said it now multiple times how much you remind him of himself being out there. And I'm like – that can't hurt if the skipper is looking out and saying, "Yeah, that kind of reminds me of me." Yeah, you know that. You know it's good. Uh, I, I got asked that question the other day. Um, it's, it's nice when your manager has some trust in you um, and, and kind of knows your style of play, and uh, it just lets you go out there and play freely. What is the key for you now that you've had some at bats, been home, yeah. been on the road, coming back? What it, you feel a little more free? How, how you feeling? Yeah, I mean, you know, that first week is is a. Uh, it's a little different. You know, you're coming up and you're trying to fit in. You're meeting some new guys, some new coaches. You're trying to get on the same page. So, um, you know, that first week's done. And, uh, you know, I'm just, like I said, I'm just trying to go out there and play and, and do my thing. Have you noticed them starting to make adjustments to you at all? Yeah. Um, today I came in a little early, got some early work in, uh, got with Tommy a little bit, our hitting coach, and uh, 
you know, had a good plan of uh, what we're going to try and do uh, moving forward. So that was nice. Technology here at the big league level is a little bit different, even though there's great technology all over baseball. College baseball really yep. has been at the forefront in a lot of ways. But how, how do you use it once you get here? Because there's so much video. There's so much data to help use it. Are you using all of it, or is it select? What's best for you? I think everyone's different. You're, you you want to use things and utilize them as best you can, but uh, just taking what you can from the video or certain analytics side of it, you uh, you definitely just try and do your best to, to read it and, and, and do stuff in between at-bats, in between pitches if you can. I mean, it's tough in between pitches, but um, when you're playing defense, just making those adjustments on the fly and, uh, you know, not waiting after the game to make those adjustments. What's the big league moment that everybody has, like, I can't believe I'm here? Uh, I've tried not to think about that. Uh, for me, it's been the food. You know, there's a lot of food in the, in the clubhouse and the locker room, so it's just trying not to eat too much and uh, uh, just trying to, to – uh, I, I can't even explain. There's so much food in there. Well, you don't it's, have it's to bring awesome. your own food no. to the ballpark. No. You know what I mean? They feed you guys constantly. Yeah, no, you just try and manage it. Uh, yeah. I've been told not to eat too much because you could gain some weight quick, and, uh, yeah, I've been trying to manage that. And then, of course, I got to think playing in Texas' new stadium is yeah. pretty spectacular. Yeah, Texas was awesome. They did a really good job on that stadium, and uh, Houston was really cool too. So, um, you know, I just want to beat those guys more in the future, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. So being back home, the cell phone, what is it like? Text from friends, family, how has it changed? I got a lot of texts. I got a lot of DMs on Instagram. Uh, I tried to get back to as many people as I can. I still got. I still got to get back on that. Uh, but you know, I got a lot of love and support from everyone back home. A lot of former teammates. So um, that was nice to see a lot of people congratulate me. And I, I, I just want to say now that I really appreciate that. Well, yeah. I mean, you're coming. I mean, you're back home. You're yeah. a kid that grew up. You know, in the East Bay, you grew up an A's fan. You grew up going to this stadium. Yep. It's kind of like it's a dream come true that most players never get. Yeah, no, I mean, it, like I said, it's a great opportunity. Not many people get to experience that, and uh, I'm, I'm just really looking forward to, to fitting in here and, uh, you know, the future here. I remember when you got traded over here, my accountant, the former mayor of Fremont, Bill Harrison, was like, hey, my guy, he's coming your way. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, I mean, even I have a connection yeah. to you, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's what's really cool about someone who gets to play at home, but most importantly in front of your family because obviously if you're making your debut in Tampa, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've been on the East Coast my whole uh, professional career. And uh, it's kind of crazy how the full circle swings around, and uh, I'm back here. I get an opportunity, like I said, and get to do big things. Well, I, I, a lot of respect for the Rays and their yep. organization. Yep. Very smart, no question. Yep. What did you learn? Probably what's the number one thing you learned from being with the Rays? Uh, just the work ethic. Uh, they're bit really big on um, just getting a lot of reps in in early work and uh, just just going all out on live reads and just doing stuff at game speed. So I think that has really helped me out in uh, the defensive side and uh, the offensive side, just really slowing things down and, and just letting the game happen. Let's end on this. Your preference in the lineup, do you like hitting leadoff? Is it something you're comfortable doing? Is it where you want to be? I know right now you're going to, hey, wherever you put me, I'm going to, where are you most comfortable in the order? I would say leadoff. Um, for me, it's just seeing pitches and, and kind of get an idea of how guys are trying to pitch to me. And, um, 
you know, I feel like I'm a guy that gets on base a lot and works counts. So it's it's kind of just rela relaying those pitches and how a guy's trying to pitch uh, that day. And I think I have a good idea of what guys are trying to do. So um, it's just like get, getting all that stuff back in the dugout, getting on base, trying to score, get things going. I, I think I kind of just fit that role of the leadoff guy, and I think that's where I'm more comfortable at. Well, hopefully this right here is something we're doing for many years to come. I think it's a great story. Obviously, everybody's pulling for you. And, and welcome to Oakland, and welcome to the A's fan base. And I have a feeling uh, this is going to be a good ride for you. Yeah, I hope so. I'm looking forward to it, and uh, look forward to meeting with you more. Appreciate your time. Thank you. We got more coming up next right here on A's Cast Lock. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.